0: Welcome back to the Hank Strange Situation. That's right. Lifestyle. Subscribe, thumbs up,
1: ring the bell so you could be notified. We are live. We are live. Let's do Jazz Hands. It's just me and Babyface P right now. We are still waiting for Adam. Oh, it looks like I just heard from him. Did you just see that? He's got
2: a message. Yep.
1: Yeah. See if you can add him in.
2: Okay. Let's see. Yeah. Um,. Uh, I don't know that I have hit let me see we're gonna go here yeah. so
1: hold on a second
2: guys just
1: stand by with us thumbs ups right now um, you know share all that kind of stuff this is uh, episode 395 who is Adam Kokesh libertarian running for president 2020 and we're trying to get him in here I'm trying to see hold on let me try to, let me try I'm, I'm calling him right now okay I was gonna say let me see if I can add him Either one way, one way or the other. We'll see. Maybe we'll get him. Oh, there oh, we go. There we okay. go. Okay. So I we can... got. To be kind of close. Yeah. No, that's Just cool, gotta man.
3: The day and in situation.
1: Okay. There coming... we go. Yeah, you're coming in a little broken up. I'm gonna try to, and I th- I think you have to turn your camera on so we can see you. No, it's working. It's working. Oh, I don't. see... Wait. How come I don't? See I can it?
2: see him in Skype. Oh, you can. You gotta add. You gotta add the video to your to the stream, right?
3: Hey, guys, yeah. let me... Can you, can you call me... Can I call back and... Well, let me see. I need yeah. to turn my ringer off. Yeah, up. yeah. Give go me ahead. A second. I might yeah, lose.
1: go ahead and do that. We've got time. No, no worries. All right, so everyone hanging out in there with us, thank you. Make sure you thumbs up, okay? Make sure you share this and all that kind of good stuff. Thanks to everyone for coming in. It's Friday. It's Friday. We have... Did he uh,
2: hang up? He should be calling back. Yeah, he's going to call back, I think he said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm so... still
2: here.
3: Oh, oh okay. I didn't have to hang up. There
1: we go. Okay. Yeah, but I still don't see Adam. I, I can see him. <laughs> okay, I just see a big Skype thing. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh gotta try to figure that out. I'm just seeing. Hmm. Adam, do you mind? Let's see. Maybe, maybe hang up and and I'll call back sure yeah cuz video is not coming in on my end so if you don't mind hang up and then I'll call you right back
3: Back on no alright
1: yeah. yeah so um, also. yeah let's see did he hang up I think so alright let me try to add him back in here and see what happens <clears throat> yeah sorry about that guys just hang in <laughs> it's just there a with disaster us. a disaster for Friday already. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we I go. see him now. I can see him. Boom! All right. There he goes. All right, I think we I think we got Adam on. So he looks like he's uh, coming in from the farm. What's up,
3: Adam? Oh, I even got flies in the background here. I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> Shoo out of the room! Uh, yeah, yeah. How's that for farm authentic? Yeah,
1: yeah. So let me try to get this all. Let me try to get this all started all over again. If everyone's joining us right now, this is uh the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. It's episode 395. The title is Who is Adam Kokash, Libertarian running for president 2020? You see him on the screen here if you're uh, joining us live and checking it out. And a big shout out to Franklin Armory, our sponsors uh for you know allowing us to like helping us to be able to actually put all these on we've got babyface p here um we've got adam here you don't know either one of us adam but welcome Mm -hmm. to the show and uh say that again
3: thank you hank thank you p
1: yes um where are you where are you calling us from
3: i am in uh at, at an undisclosed location <laughs> looks like a secret <laughs> <junker>. um, yeah <laughs> it, it kind of is i'm i'm um i'll just say i'm i'm in northern arizona i'm at my i'm at my place um okay. but i'm i'm limited for uh for legal reasons as to how much i can say about freedom farm but oh, okay yeah, I'm, I'm living in uh in that, that I made with my own two hands and some help from some and living completely off-grid. And I, I love it out here. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Okay, completely off-grid. That's mm-hmm. awesome,
1: man. I respect that. You know, very cool. Um, so if, you know, for the folks out there who don't know who you are, that's where I would usually like to start. Plus, you know, I've never had a conversation with you before. Um, our friend Joe from American Gun Chick, he suggested that we should get you on here. He's a good dude. You know, he said. Yeah,
3: Mr. Moss. Okay.
1: yeah, absolutely. So I was like, hey, you know, uh if if Joe likes him, let's look into him. And uh, and you know what? You've got uh if you Google Adam Kokesh, some stuff's gonna come back up on Google. <laughs> 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 you know, you, you, you might see some mugshots, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: part <perfect>. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might see
1: some uh infamous videos in front of the Capitol. <laughs> Some good stuff So how about telling us, Adam you're, you're running for president now So what's your official introduction of yourself to folks?
3: Well, since you're going to introduce me As a presidential candidate I, I have to start with that Because every time I'm introduced As a presidential candidate uh, A little part of me dies inside <laughs> um, and, and, and if I have to introduce myself As a presidential candidate I usually vote Vomit into my mouth <laughs> at least a little bit, um, and 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 I I do take a, a really consistent, uh, you know, ethical principled basis to my my politics, my activism uh, in terms of the foundation of libertarianism, and, and we can get back into that if if y'all want. But yeah, we got time. Uh, I'm not running for president as much as I am using my candidacy for president to turn this election on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. So just to be clear, Adam Kokesh being president is not an option. I did not sign up for that, I will not accept the job. Uh, And for those of you who, who have heard of Lord of the Rings, you know that when someone hands you the ring of power, there's really only one thing you're supposed to do with it and that is throw it into the fire. So my platform could be summed up as localization of the federal government or a peaceful, orderly, and responsible disillusion that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. So this gets us a lot more in line with the vision that the founders had for this country in a lot of ways, but I think is the continuation of the American Revolution and, and perhaps more of an evolutionary rather than revolutionary sense our opportunity to lead the world forward in freedom again, the same way that the Found, And incidentally, we get to do it by overthrowing the biggest empire the world is seeing again. So that's a kind of nice benefit of, of where we are right now in the American story. But then we have this just sense of, uh, of independence and self-reliance so ingrained in the American culture. The idea that, that we have allowed ourselves To be forced under a single national government is really un-American when you think Mm -hmm. about it. So I will be resigning on day one. Uh, upon winning, it's not uh, me taking office for a bit of time and any longer than is necessary to sign the paperwork. So I'm going to go in and and there might be uh, Mm -hmm.
1: a... No, I'm sorry. Okay,
3: yeah. It's like we could just jump into that in for two hours, but if you yeah. want to you know, like that's that's the premise of the campaign.
1: Yeah, okay. So before we get into your background, you're saying you're you just saying because you're breaking up a little bit. I know you're out in the undisclosed location, so it might be a little difficult for the signal to come in. But um okay, so first day so let's say you win, something happens in the world, you know, we all everyone in America or most people in America vote for Adam Kokesh, you're elected president. Your first thing is you're going to resign, and then what? What, what happens at
3: that well, point? Well, I become the custodian of the federal government or you know, the bankruptcy agent. So uh, immediately the states become sovereign, and any native uh, tribal nation that wants to declare itself sovereign as opposed to a subsidiary of the state that it falls into uh, can declare themselves sovereign as well. So you have that immediate effect of localization, but this is not an easy process. And I don't mean to, to, to oversimplify it. And, and this is where, you know, a lot of politicians will play this game of, you know, vote for me, because I look good in a suit and I can make my talking points sound nice and appeal mm-hmm. to you. And, and, and I am making, I think at a, at a, a different level, uh, a distinct intellectual appeal to the American people to say, we don't have to be united under one government to be united in American values. And this is a significant process that, that I'm proposing here. It's not like I'm going to snap my fingers and federal government goes away. Uh, you know, some agencies like the IRS, you can kind of just, you know, send everybody home and sell the buildings, and, and, and that's okay. For, for things like the Department of, of Defense, um, for Social Security, for Department of Veterans Affairs, for, for so many others, there has to be a, a very thoughtful process in, in how we get those functions uh, that are legitimate government functions down to the state level. And uh, if you, if you'd like, we can go agency by agency, Mm -hmm. but basically if an agency is, is not providing uh, a legitimate purpose, uh, as in, you know, one that the people support or demand like the IRS, department of education, department of energy uh, you know, these are all regulatory federal agencies that, that don't really do anything except Passed down mandates—they're just mechanisms of control. So, uh, well, I should say of bribery and graft and corruption and then so many other wonderful things we get out of the federal government. But uh, it, so, so a lot of those agencies are simply just going to be liquidated. Some are going to be spun off. Now, uh, I'm a veteran myself. If you couldn't tell from the crayons in my teeth, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, I volunteered to go to uh, Fallujah in 2004. Uh, saw. Uh, I, I like to describe it as a little slice of combat, you know, uh, just, just enough to, to understand what it is. You know, I I I um, I've I, you know I've seen I've seen some enough horrific shit up close to know that, that we should never do that again. And um, so so with the Department of of Defense, uh, the, there needs to be a process where you take the weaponry that is offensive, that is is simply a a tool of empire control or projecting power, as opposed to those which have legitimate defensive purposes. And you take those and and apportion them among the states. And so you'd have 50 independent state militaries, but uh, it it would be just a temporary step on the way to the, the defense that our founders envisioned for this country of being a militia-based defense
1: okay all right so i know there's plenty of people out there probably having like a wtf moment (laughs) based on what you're saying but i think there's a philosophical reason behind it so you know we've got like two hours before we dig into that we could probably backtrack a little bit right and uh let like give you a chance to explain to people who you are you know how like how do you see yourself uh you know, philosophically-wise, I guess. I don't know, for, for lack of better words. Um, you know, how'd you get here?
3: Well, my parents were vaguely anti-authoritarian. My mom, generally liberal. My dad, generally conservative. But they both taught me to, to dis- and I, I wish I, they had taught me just a little bit better because... I ended up joining the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. Actually, sorry, this is what I meant to say about the VA. I don't want to see the VA fundamentally uh, you know, disbanded or anything because it provides a legitimate purpose. I'd like to see it given to the veterans, have it owned and operated by the veterans population in this country. And I guarantee if you do that, you're not going to have 22 veteran suicides today. So I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17. I just wanted to have my life on the line for something I believed in. You know, you guys know Full Metal Jacket? Sure. Mm-hmm. The movie Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. As opposed to be an anti-war movie.
1: Okay.
3: There were two parts of that that really motivated me to, to enlist. And one was, uh, and, and I'll say this without it being a spoiler, but for what happens to one of the main characters at the end of the first half, I was like, wow, this is an experience that can drive some like that. You know, I, I want to sign up for that challenge. And the other one, it's kind of sick. It's a line from Joker uh, in the second half of the movie. That I wanted to be the first kid on my block with a kill. And I really bought into militarism. Uh, and, and, and this is something that, if, I, if, if you don't mind me sidebar a second here, this is something that, that has really been on my mind a lot lately. And it, uh especially since since Memorial Day just uh, just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, I wrote a blog post about that thinking about the my, my fellow Marines who I saw die in Iraq and what I said was that the great tragedy of was not that they died uh, or, or, or that they died fighting for something that they believed in or they died believing they were defending their fellow Americans, but that they died as soldiers thinking they were warriors. And I know I have to unpack that a little bit, but to me it's a very important distinction that a soldier is someone who marches in formation, follows orders, and essentially does what the politicians tell him to do. Okay. A warrior is someone who stands up for what is right and is willing to risk their life to protect the innocent, to stand up for justice, to, to, to maintain peace. And 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 that's a really important distinction and, and to me that speaks to the core of the distinction between the militarism that we know in America today and you know, a real warrior culture militia based defense that the founders had and i think this shift there's a big shift that's happening in the united states right now you know when when dudes came home from vietnam not only were they spat on in many ways but they weren't really encouraged to speak out. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the support groups. They didn't have all of the things that we have today uh, that, that make the veterans community, uh, you know, a whole other thing. That we you know, thank partly because of the experience of Vietnam, you know, things that have, yeah. have been built out since then. And this shift really has to come from within from the people who are, who are the warriors in this country. We have plenty of warriors. You know, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with a, a warrior culture, but it's been perverted in, with militarism into a culture of, of soldiering and obedience, okay. a, a, as opposed to being independent-minded and, and, and actually fighting for justice. So I, I, hope, uh, I, I hope that's something that, that for, for your audience in particular might strike a chord um, I, I, I assume you have a so, uh, yeah. There's a bunch of, in your eye.
0: yeah,
1: there, yeah. There's definitely some veterans in there, some guys that uh, have served. Uh, from time to time, we have guys that are serving currently. So just to um, and babyface, feel free to jump in there if you have any questions. Mm-hmm. But just Mm-mm. so just to get your th- to to get a um, to pin down what what you believe here. Um, are you are you a pacifist or not a pacifist or no? You know,
3: I absolutely you, not. Um, and 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 you know it's it's very tempting. I think just as much as you know drinking yourself into a bottle, and 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 checking out from life is kind of an overreaction or a cop out. I think pacifism uh, as well is a bit of an emotionally reactionary cop out. Mm-hmm. I'm a libertarian, and at, at the heart of libertarianism is the philosophy known as voluntarism. The idea that all human relationships should be voluntary. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the biggest misunderstanding about libertarianism is, a, is that it's a political philosophy, it's not. It's an ethical philosophy applied to politics.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and one of the mistakes we've made as a movement for a long time is kind of playing their game and saying, well, we're gonna say you know, libertarians about this issue and this issue and this issue and this issue. And and it's really not. It's really about one issue at its core, which is that you own yourself. As an independent human being, you own the body that your brain resides in. Your consciousness gives you an inherent control and and a right to own your own body. And this is not so much a construct as an observation of reality. You know, Mm -hmm. some people say, how how do you come to this? Well, it's just you you think it through. And I I never tell anybody, you know, that you should agree with me because I said so. You know, everything about my message is... If you're going to agree with me, do it because it makes sense to you, because you've thought it through from your own experience, your own reason, your own evidence, your your own logic. Right. You understand and, and it or it
1: made you think about something and come to some kind of conclusion yeah. within your own mind, because we all live in the world right. through our own perspective and our own uh, understanding and decoding of whatever it is we see. Right,
3: Thinking for yourself. Yeah. yeah. So this idea of self-ownership defines freedom and defines a standard of ethics that we describe as the non-aggression principle Mm -hmm. just just getting to the idea of being a pacifist and the uh, the complete distinction here Mm -hmm. is that people you know either you're a pacifist or or you're not but Mm -hmm. in terms of not pacifist there there's a whole different range of things and 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 a lot of them are just plain assholes Mm -hmm. but if if you say i believe in the non-aggression principle it means i'm not going to aggress against you i'm not going to initiate force against you because that's ethically wrong that's mm-hmm. violating your self ownership mm-hmm. but i reserve the right to use force and violence in defense of myself and in defense of my property yeah. and so that's the distinction and 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 this the, the question and, and it's what, what's amazing is that you know we go through what 12 years of plus of, of of government education and there there are two things you think would be really really important that they teach you in government schools and one is a definition of government they don't teach that because they don't want you to know that the only real functional definition for government is that it's a territorial monopoly on force. But but the other thing that they uh, that they never teach is how is you know right and wrong. When is it okay to use violence against someone? You know, and for a lot of us, well, we we play into this government notion of of punishment as opposed to justice. And and I'll just use cannabis here as the one obvious example. If I smoke cannabis and you don't like it, whether you're a cop or a politician or even the majority of my, Mm -hmm. we're going to grab you and we're going to lock you in a jail cell because you did something we didn't like. Mm -hmm. That's punishment. That's Mm -hmm. a crime in and of itself. You're violating my self-ownership. Now, justice, on the other hand, is if if I steal something from you, I have to return it or make you whole. That's yeah. justice. And so, if you, if you, if, if if they taught you this distinction in in government schools growing up, so like this is right, this is wrong. Here's here's a clear framework for this. You go, well government's full of shit you know i uh, thought it's it, it, well, well, what the hell are we doing putting up with this unethical system where 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 they say well this is this is righteous this is the the justice system you know and, and it's absolute nonsense and if you just get you know the, the definition of those two concepts like, it, it, it really can you can you can use that to decode the rest of the matrix if you want.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let me. So the, let me just get a chance and say a couple things here. So, like, I know I have a, a personal philosophy of like "civis Passum Parabellum, If you've ever heard that, um, you know, which basically means if you seek uh, peace, prepare for war. So uh, it's not like I. I think I agree with you in that. I'm sure there's people out there who either agree with you, disagree with you. I agree with you in that. Like I'm not, uh, I'm a gun guy. I believe in the Second Amendment. Uh, That's a lot of what we talk about here, you know. But Mm -hmm. I'm not a gun guy because I want to, you know, exert some kind of force over other people or make other people afraid of me or bend other people's uh, will to my own. I I I I believe in this because I want to be able to defend my own will. Right. No, my own property. Interest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know,
3: yeah. I, 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 think, so I go ahead. This is, well, before you we move on on that, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I'm a felon because of my gun rights activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't get to play with guns anymore. But for a long time, you know, not just being in the Marine Corps, but even, even in my my personal life, uh, I would conceal carry. I was an open carrier for mm-hmm. handguns. Um, you know, pretty much always owned an AR and a hunting rifle and, and, and some kind of handgun. and there's there's something that, that I, I really appreciate about the firearms or the gun community in America as a whole and, and and one of the things is is this this idea of de-escalating. And by the way, I, I will say one other thing i still I still get to carry pepper spray. I sound like a dork here right <laughs> you know, on a gun show going, "Yeah, I carry pepper do spray." Do what you
1: need to but- do to defend yourself, my friend. I mean, I, I you know, we're going to I want to get into what happened to you, how you became a felon and and lost your access to the second amendment because I know that when I looked it up, I don't see any what I consider just reason for that. Um, you know, but I as, as far as I'm it's concerned, eating. I think you need to do whatever you need to do to defend yourself, man. Yeah.
3: You know. Well, so I I I carry pepper spray now and I, I open carry my breast cancer awareness pink pepper oh, right. spray on my <laughs> kitchen, on my hip, because I want people to know, like, you know, I mean, for the same reason or similar reasons as you might open carry a firearm, I want, and, and I want it to be handy. I want it to be, you know, really, really, uh, you know, quick draw there. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I always carried that when I had a firearm on me as well, or, or some kind of pepper spray, Uh, I think you need that ability to escalate force if you're going to interact. And a lot of of people who carry firearms in in America who do so responsibly, they know, hey, I don't have a lot of in-between options. It's my words and then I draw. You know, and, and, and you have to know if you're going to draw, like not even not not even sight in on someone, but just that you're going to unholster a firearm in front of another person in a confrontational situation like that's a bit that that in and of itself is crossing some very important lines. Yeah. Drawing in on someone, sighting in on someone that's crossing another big line and actually using the firearm and shooting someone. Taking someone's life or, or or disabling them, if if that's an option, that's another big one. Yeah. And I think, in, when when I when I talk to gun owners about libertarianism as a as a ethical philosophy, I, I think they the, there's there's an inherent receptiveness that, that's so beautiful because everybody who has ever you know, responsibly carried a firearm in any kind of public setting has had to think through when is it okay to use this? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you take that fundamental principle, it's really the non-aggression principle. You know, you don't, you can't just draw a firearm on someone because you don't like what they're doing and you want to control them. No, but that's what government does. And even if they don't actually go around pointing guns at people, it's very easy to point out like, hey, What happens if you don't pay your taxes? Eventually, they come and take your stuff. And if you resist them taking your stuff, they take you. And if you resist them taking you, you get physically assaulted. And if you resist that, you get shot. Everything government does is backed up ultimately by that threat of violence. Mm -hmm. And it's almost always being applied uh, in an unethical
1: way yeah so now let me let me just stop you here for a second i think you made a good point there uh i want to explain to have, we, we've got a lot of people in the chat so everyone out there please thumbs up uh we appreciate that share it and all that kind of stuff i'm gonna uh, take some questions and things like that where i i don't know if we i don't think we're gonna get a chance to get deep into adam's background but i could tell you guys if you google him there's lots of stuff i was looking at an interview that you did with uh joe rogan Years ago, I think like six years ago, man, you're in like, you're like episode two something with Joe Rogan. So he's on 13, no 1500 and something now. So yeah, you're, you're OG, you're OG with that. So there's lots of stuff people can do (laughs) and go back and find out about Adam. But I think we're going in some good places here. So Go
3: ahead. Yeah, so we can just just by, if I can get a couple things out of the way on mm-hmm. on that count on just if, if I may say a few words about my resume before we get <laughs> into the meat and potatoes here. Sure. Um yes. So I I have been a full-time activist since uh, I got out of the Marine Corps which was November 30, 2006. And my start was with Iraq veterans against the war. And a big part of my understanding of activism was being the one libertarian, not the one, but one of few libertarians in a movement full of lefties and getting a lot of training and perspective and, and understanding from them, um, challenging the, the war crime that, that was the the invasion and, and uh, imposition of martial law and the occupation of Iraq. <laughs> Excuse me, and and when, when I got back from Iraq, um, I wasn't really, uh, awoke to this nature of, of the war yet, uh, it wasn't until I got out uh, and, and I got in trouble. I got in trouble for bringing a pistol back from yeah. Iraq the first time. Yeah, that's so, one of the
1: things I want to get into. That's one of the things I want to yeah, get that's, into. I mean, like, Once I, we get I gotta, other stuff wanna, out of the way.
3: I want to give people a sense of like, yeah. see if I can give people a table yeah. of contents of, of all the various stories here, because I've been a full-time activist. Um, I, I kind of count my my, my birth in, in, or my first day of full-time activism is March 19, 2003. No, I'm sorry. March 19, 2007, uh, which was the four-year anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, which was Mar- March 19, 2003. And we did a mock combat patrol street theater action in Washington, D.C. That was a lot of fun and, and first made me a national figure. But when you're coming back from Iraq and you've seen... Your buddies die in combat, and you've decided, I'm not going to crawl into a bottle and die. I'm going to fucking do something about this so that nobody else has to die unnecessarily. You really throw yourself into your activism with a certain, I mean, I don't want to say reckless abandon, but let's say the same gung ho enthusiasm. That that you brought to the for me to the Marine Corps, but for the you know all the guys and gals that I was working with in IVAW with the military, and we did a lot of civil disobedience type stuff. More of it was just stunt activism or street theater or protesting without a permit kind of civil disobedience, rather than we're going to challenge this law. Uh, like with the Jefferson Dance Party, where they said you can't dance here, I said, "Well, arrest me for dancing, and let's see what happens." Yeah. Uh, the, the the two big things that I'm known for in civil disobedience are the the Jefferson Dance Party, where I got choke slammed by a cop for dancing at the Jefferson Monument. You know, the Jeff Thomas Jefferson, the great champion of freedom of speech. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. I saw I that video.
1: People can find yeah. it out. That's you still, cool. it's still out there.
3: Yeah. yeah, that's that's back from 2011. Yeah. By the way, you can't uh,
1: you can't dance at all. But I mean, I can't dance either. I know. Either, you I know. know. Hey, well, you're a horrible hey, dancer, right. man. Hey, can you
3: guess what I was listening to uh, while uh, I was dancing before getting arrested?
1: Ah, uh, I know. What
3: were you listening to? <laughs> You can no, do don't. it by Ice Cube. Very, very motivation music, you know. Put your back into it, uh, whether whether you're any good at it or not. That's obviously. just a two
1: step. That's just a two
3: step, man. <laughs> well, obviously, what I was doing. Uh, you know, barely qualified as dancing by any definition, but apparently the cops thought it met the legal definition. But you you were standing up for
1: freedom. You were standing up for freedom. That's the whole point of it. Someone ultimately here, like this is one of the things, if if I can get a couple of words in here, this is one of the things people have to understand. Like we all talk about freedom in our circles, right? I'm in the gun world, lots of people listening in here, gun world guys. We all talk about freedom, but ultimately, you, you don't have it if you can't defend it. And if, in, in, in order to defend it, you have to stand up for it. You have to make people realize, like, hey, why, you know, why is it that I can't dance here? What is wrong? What is so horrible for me to do at the Jefferson Memorial to dance? Why is yeah. that a bad thing? You know, so it may sound silly to people, it may sound ridiculous, but it's something that has to happen. People have to do this. This is how, this is how
3: we change the world. Right. Yeah, and and if i if I may tell a, a summary of the, the shotgun story mm-hmm. next, because I'm re- actually talking. This is the first time I've been talking to a show that's that's really connected to the gun community, mm-hmm. where where I've gotten to think this through. Uh, but first, in terms of what you said about the dancing, you know, we were challenging an unjust law. It's not the most important one. It's more symbolic. And by the way, we completely won in the sense that while well, we got arrested, we got our tickets dismissed and we got the policy changed. So as, as a as a project of civil disobedience, as in there's an unjust law or policy or enforcement here, we're going to break it. We're going to call attention to it. We're going to challenge it in the courts and we're going to get a change. Absolute victory on on the dancing laws in, okay. at, at the Jefferson so- Memorial. But it's not significant. That's not what's important. Right. So let's talk
1: about let's talk about the shotgun one. Sorry. Uh, But I just uh, so to encapsulate the thing that happened with the shotgun. um, How did how did that one get started? Now, you were you were living. Were you living in D.C.? Well,
3: hold on. Before I get into that, I want to make one more point to to bounce off. what You said, Hank, because it was it was so important. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this is a line that, that I use to talk about why we should have. Uh, a militia based defense as opposed to a military based defense. And we could, I could talk for hours about that. To me, to getting over, evolving past militarism, getting the warrior class to be warriors instead of soldiers is really one of the most important points in, in human progress or, or evolution right now to say warriors are going to stand up for what's right instead of killing for politicians. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is that the founders of this country knew that the best defense. The most efficient defense and the only legitimate defense for a free people is a well-armed population that refuses to be governed by anyone and as gandhi proved the well-armed part is optional and really it should be a backstop. It should be something that is only necessary in really small, isolated events. Like I think of the Bundy Ranch standoff at Bunkerville. I was I was there a couple of years ago for a fundraiser for them. Big supporters of what the Bundys did there. Um, and but that's the you know what it really has to be about. Like you said, Hank is actively engaging and saying, no, we're, we're not going to put up with this shit anymore. And yeah, if it comes down to it, we'll shoot you. But we really don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, we want you to see the light. We want you to do the right thing. So the shotgun came out of an uh, uh, incident, came out of my idea to do an open carry march through Washington, D.C., now, there have been open carry marches before right. I've participated. It's not that big a deal where you have open now, carry. When, when did you,
1: when did you float this? Cause I did have like, um, I, I don't usually do a lot of notes and stuff for, for what I talk to people. Cause I, I want to have like a natural conversation flow like this, but this is one of the things that I definitely made a note about because I wanted to talk about this, like you said, because it specifically relates to the whole gun thing. I just want to pin everything down in time. When was it that you were doing this? What year?
3: Do you remember? Uh, this would have been July Fourth, two thousand thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. And what I what I had the way I had originally set this up. Was here's the Facebook group, or sorry, here's the Facebook event page. If mm. we get ten thousand RSVPs mm. by by like a month before or something, then mm. then we'll go ahead and do it. Okay. And just declaring it alone, I mean, was so much fun. I mean, just triggering liberals left and right. You're gonna bring guns, and you know, you're gonna walk around with guns in D.C. You know, and we were gonna be. As tame and unconfront, you know, non-confrontational as possible, like long guns only, muzzle down, totally unloaded, you know, no ammo on you to be, at, you know, barely violating DC law in that mm-hmm. sense, and saying no, we're asserting our, our right uh, under the Second Amendment to do this, and it it caused uh, a significant firestorm in the gun community as well.
1: And yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask you, because I seem to remember this idea being floated and then it kind of disappeared. Yeah. So um, I, I think at that time I wasn't I definitely uh, I think I was just starting to do what I'm doing now. So I wanted to know yeah. how you were received when when you were floating that idea by the, the folks out there in the gun community, because, I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've, people have sent me messages since I announced you were coming on saying there were lots of guys in the gun community that were actually against what you wanted to do
3: yeah so it's it's really interesting that contrast in in responses and there are there were a lot of people who had it in the gun community who had the same response of the liberals of making a bigger deal out of it than, than. because there's kind of two ways that it could have gone if you think about it logistically, you know when we we're gonna muster, uh, right across the bridge on the Virginia side, where open carrying long guns is legal mm-hmm. and and walk across the bridge. And we were coordinating with law enforcement. So if law enforcement put up a barricade there, well, we walk up to the barricade. We say, oh, well, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Time to go you know, give a few speeches and go home. Right. Not a big deal. You know, Option two. They start letting people in and they start arresting us as we cross the line. And then everybody else stops, gives a few speeches, and then they go home. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Option three, we get a police escort and we do this little one mile walk through through Washington, DC, and and you know, probably get some garbage thrown at us by 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 the liberal residents there. But it, it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't like, Hey, we're going to go to the white house and lock and load rounds and, and sight in on all the windows. You know, mm. it wasn't like that. It was, it was very clearly uh, a peaceful demonstration. Okay. And the, the split in the gun community being for or against was what was really interesting because some people blew it up To be like, oh, my God, this is a crazy thing. This is going to make gun owners look bad. And it's like, really a a peaceful, respectful, and yet very, very courageous in terms of walking into the belly of the beast kind of just demonstration, assertion of our rights. That's going to make – I think what makes gun owners look bad is that we give money to the NRA, who we know is corrupt, and then act like they're going to solve the problem through lobbyists and politicians bullshit yeah. that's what makes us look like a bunch of cowards
1: yeah let me say this let me say this real quick right let me just uh interject here for a second so that was 2013 when you did that right yeah. and i think that was around the whole what we call the firearm Armageddon that was right after um the shooting in so the connecticut post school. sandy hook yeah post sandy yeah. hook you had obama in <laughs> office he said he was going to ban guns uh, gun guys were getting pretty riled up and all that kind of stuff, but I think 2013 people didn't really think that, um, I think we still had this kind of mentality that things weren't gonna happen, you know, that they weren't really gonna do this. I know there were people, there were lots of guys that went out there and bought a lot of guns, the prices of guns skyrocketed because everyone was buying it, but I don't think anyone was politically worried, and I think if we contrast that with today where we have a Republican, supposedly, in the White House. I'm not going to lie. I voted for Trump. Uh, I wasn't going to vote for Hillary. There was a whole thing with the uh, Libertarian Party. I wasn't really happy in terms of...
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, but but right now we're looking at things, and Trump has uh, banned bump stocks, which it, I think is gonna lead into other things. There was no law made on that. They made up their own law. They're forcing it on people's executive order. Um, now that we recently had this thing in uh, Virginia where supposedly, we don't know, the guy used a suppressor, now Trump says he's gonna take a look at that. I think this is kind of like a, a if, you, if you try to put the two worlds in 2013 next to the one today, I think maybe in 2013, there could have been some gun guys that said, this guy's crazy, but today those guys are like, oh, maybe we need to do something like this because we're coming to a maybe, point I mean, where- maybe,
3: yeah, maybe, Right, maybe that, Maybe that's. so you're saying that like in 2013, this was a few years ahead of its time, but now the, yes. the, the movement is better for it. Maybe, because well, I think we we're, we're mad
1: now because we, we have who's supposed to be a Republican. We uh, and, and when Trump was elected, everyone gave Republicans a majority. And the guys didn't, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything to shore up the second amendment. And, and now we're looking at Republicans actually pulling away rights, and it comes back down to what we've, we've all seen before, that this whole two-party system is working against all of us, which I think is your overall thing that you're saying, big government, we need to dismantle it, you know, we need to bring it down. And I think there's more gun guys today that are, that are more upset than even in 2013, where you know, people really did get activated a little bit under Obama, maybe it was easier if you have like an, uh, an Obama in the White House, Versus when you have a Republican, but I think there's gun guys today that are looking at this and going, "Oh yeah, maybe people need to see how serious we are." Uh, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead.
3: No, no, no. That's that's a really good point, and I, you know, I, I I hadn't considered that. It actually, kind of gives me a little inspiration. The thing is, I can't actually uh, lead yeah. an armed march myself if I can't be armed, right? Unless yeah. I've got I've got some black powder or some pre-1890 shotguns that are not legally firearms. Yeah. Uh, well so there, there
1: could I, still be a way symbolically for you to do it you know um I don't I, want to cut I off the know, story I, of what I happened yeah yeah I would
3: well you know it, I I guess because well, well let me finish the story sure. and then people yes. know that, that I still have some credibility on this issue right, right? I right. so mm-hmm. um but, but one one more thing I'll say about the response in the gun community there were people who we're, were genuinely critical of this as a tactic. Um, and and I, I never got into the comments enough to get a sense of, of how relevant this next dynamic was, but someone on my team said, Adam, the reason why half the people in the gun community hate you is not because you might look, make them look bad with this action in terms of the, the, how this reflects on the gun community as a whole, they're worried that this makes them look bad in the sense that it makes them look like cowards. Maybe they They didn't think of it.
1: They didn't think about it.
3: No, no, not, not just that, Mm -hmm. but that they didn't, they didn't get behind it. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the numbers Mm -hmm. in a second here. Uh, But, you know, and, and I think it's very appropriate for people in the gun community. When you pick up a gun, when, when you're talking about the issue of, of uh, a tool to end human life, Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you, you take that seriously. And there's a lot of serious language around that. But when you say, well, I wouldn't let them take my gun because I would go, sh- well, will you march first before you'll shoot a gun grabber? Will you come on a march with me or are you going to chicken out on that? Yeah. You know, and, and so there's, there was a lot of that. And, and what I had said is the criteria for this was that we had to get 10,000 RSVPs on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. knowing that a big chunk of those were going to be people who didn't show up or or were just trolling. Uh, and, of course, we, we had all sorts of anti-gun people join the page, Just and there were these threads, like 500 comments long. It was nuts how, how heated uh, the conversation was around this for a while. But we didn't get to 10,000. I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was close. I think we got to about 9,000, and... And so I had to call it off, and I wanted to still do something for the same effect. And I figured, well, if we don't have, see, I wanted to make sure we had at least, you know, I think, I think the way I was thinking is that if we have ten thousand RCPs, we'll have at minimum three thousand people actually there. And that if we had 3,000, that that would be a, not just a serious crowd, but a safe enough crowd mm-hmm. where people could look out for each other um, and, and sort of voluntarily enforce the safety protocol of, you know, unloaded weapons muzzled down, slung over the back only kind of kind of stuff. But since we didn't make it, I, you know, I had to call it off. Um, I had just been arrested a, a month before it was supposed to happen, or maybe a month and a half at at a cannabis rally in Philadelphia and was locked up for a week under somewhat suspicious circumstances. So I was not in a good position to responsibly organize this. And to organize something like this, not just a civil disobedience, but involving firearms requires a, a minimum level of people know what the fuck they're doing you know, and the, mm-hmm. the directions are out there that you have leaders and organizers and team members and people taking on different roles. And, and for one, I didn't think, like we could have gone ahead with 9,000 people maybe and said, well, we'll get to the 10,000 at the last minute or something. But I, I really thought it was, a hard, it was a hard decision. I mean, one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life was to call it off mm-hmm. and say, and it wasn't like, Hey, we were trying to do this and we failed. It was like, hey, we just don't have the numbers, so we're not going to. And, and that really was the responsible thing to do. Um, but, but I went on my own, and uh, on Independence Day 2013, uh, I got my shotgun, uh, six, six, um, six shell pump action, and I had it uh, in, in front of me in the backseat of my car. I had my team with me, I had a driver, I had two camera operators. We drove into Freedom Plaza, which is a great ironic site in, in Washington, D.C., and I jumped out, and I had my shells in my jacket pocket, and I, I loaded the shotgun, and I racked it, and and I said something uh, something clever, and I, I jumped back in the car, and then I unloaded the shotgun. And we drove home. It was a 20-second video, and as a result, they sent more men after me than Osama bin Laden. Uh, my home in, in Virginia was raided. We had two helicopters overhead, uh, an armored vehicle at the door. Uh, the, the whole house was surrounded by SWAT team members. And this is United States Park Police. Mm-hmm. So I'm of all the federal agencies for me to end up with a thing uh, with, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that <laughs> I, I get the uh, FBI Academy rejects. Yeah. The, 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 Parks, the, of the rec. Parks and recreation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, you yeah, oh, know, man. Uh, well, if you go see some of my videos, like the, the cops, yeah, I saw chokes, the video.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Go ahead. Well, the choke, cops, slammed me for dancing. That guy was park police. When I do, I do a lot of man on the street videos. This is the other thing I want to say about my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of Socratic dialogue man on the street stuff or I just uh, I go talk to strangers and I have a, a microphone and I just I ask them questions until they figure out why they're wrong about why they support government for for whatever issue and um, I, I every time I go in front of the White House park police guys hey, are you allowed to film here Yeah because the First Amendment says I have a right and you know we've, I've made a bunch of videos like that if people want to go uh, a lot of those are my most viewed so if you go to youtube.com, slash Adam Kokesh, or if you find it through thefreedomline.com, my last name, by the way, K-O-K-E-S-H, Kokesh. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, you sort by most popular, the most viewed. Some of the ones that are the most viewed are, uh, well, well, one of my favorites is Adam verbally chokes out body slams cops at White House, because uh, they they came to step to me for filming on the sidewalk, and I just, like, chased them away, and it was, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty fun video, uh, of Of getting in their faces and, and asserting your rights. so but so back with, 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 back to the
1: shotgun. yeah, with these guys so here's the thing I want to ask about the whole shotgun thing that you did because I know um this obviously made like national news mm-hmm. right? and um, and then there were people saying that perhaps it was green screen. I know that's something that I've seen come up. Th- this really happened you re- that was really the capital yeah. wasn't a green screen? Yes or no.. Yes. It, it was real. Yeah,
3: okay. So, well, mm-hmm. let, me, let me say one more, one more story about the, and I had three witnesses anyway. Okay. Um, and, and you could have analyzed the footage, and, and I'm pretty sure you could have determined that, the, and, and especially since it came out, well, I, I don't know. It was real. You can authenticate it a, a, a dozen different ways you really right. Um When they raided my home, it was not technically a no-knock raid. It was, this is the police, open up. One, to battering ram so they didn't give us a chance to to answer the door and they knocked the door down and then they threw in a flashbang. and my dog baloo who's really just an amazing creature he's going to the door because he hears a disturbance mm-hmm. and I, y'all know what happens when cops are confronted by dogs they shoot them. it's unfortunately. not cops that bitch, yeah. dogs get shot yeah so i was really well he was really lucky that this, this That's a bad policy. They're gonna
1: run across the wrong people with that bullshit. <laughs> I'm just, well, just it's, as it's, a side note, they're gonna run across dudes that are gonna die for their dogs. Yeah. yeah.
3: If you just had some real accountability and and trained police more to de-escalate than to escalate, right. and and the natural market incentive would be for you know less damage, less destruction, less pain. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'd have better policies like that. But anyway, this this grenade. Uh, went off and I'm, I'm at the top of the stairs looking down at the front door, a little entryway. And as soon as the flashbang grenade goes off, it goes off right under blue. Like, like I didn't, I saw the flash reflecting because I saw it like go off underneath him. I'm at the top of the stairs, flashbang grenade goes off and it scares the crap out of him. So instead of continuing to go to the door, he runs upstairs towards me and now I've got my hands up, I've got three green laser sights pointed at my chest and I'm going, blue, bed, 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 you know, and and he ran to his crate and and hid Uh, and and that's really what saved his life. And uh, I I had my home ransacked, I ended up doing uh, four months in jail and then uh, I, I have to say the biggest mistake that I made, in, in this particular action was was not having the legal strategy uh, sufficiently well thought out to really play it through for maximum leverage in the courts. And this had been uh, just after DC versus Heller, but while the district was still being extremely restrictive in issuing uh, carry license or just ownership permits, I forget whatever term they were using. So while I wish that my case could have stayed a national story as a legal story and, and really pushed what was going on in DC. I, I screwed that up in a number of ways and ended up having to take a plea bargain. I basically uh, allowed my, well, they denied my bail because they said he has an arsenal of weapons at home because I had a safe with like a dozen guns. I, I mean, I didn't even have ammo for most of them. So to call it an arsenal was was really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But one of the government attorneys convinced the judge that I was a threat and said that I'm the next Adam Lanza, as in Newtown, Yeah, I right? think they
1: called you, uh, quote-unquote, a very dangerous man or something like that. Is that where that right. came from? Okay. Right,
3: mm-hmm. um, and, and so when, when you get arrested and you're in jail pending trial and the judge has determined that you're a threat to society, that you can't be released, you have to at least be held until trial— that means that you are now of the prosecutors. The government prosecutors can just keep delaying and throwing more charges at you and basically keep you in jail indefinitely. And again, this is part of without getting into too much of the details about how I screwed up. I think I've made that point mm-hmm. clear enough. I, 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 had, I basically got bullied into a corner and chose to take a plea deal instead of going through with it all the way because – it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a clear enough legal case that we were going to get yeah. to play. Did out. you have
1: a lawyer? So did them. you have a lawyer at the time? Uh, yeah, I had.
3: I had. Well, um, I, I had a combination of, of private volunteer and public defenders for everything around this. Yeah. But I didn't have one who I had who I had gained this out with in advance. If I had done that, we would have. Yeah, you know, would have been a lot better. Right. Yeah, it did contribute. I think it. It was a. It, While it could have been a much bigger positive force for gun rights, it was still a generally positive force in terms of raising the issue and pushing it a little bit more in D.C., which has led to, as I understand it now, at least slightly more reasonable firearms policy in the district.
1: Yeah. What I would have suggested – I'm not a lawyer – (laughs) don't want anyone to think that. But I if you if I think you knew this was going to happen, you should have probably um, you know, your lawyer could have negotiated this or maybe you you know, you guys could figure out a place that you could go to separate from where you actually live.
0: Just
1: and
3: yeah. And avoid the raid and the Yeah. Raid. Yeah, cuz my it was brutal. I, it was a I mean, these again, United States Park Police, they were they were looking to go cowboy for the day. And justify their budgets and all the cool toys that they never get to bust out, you know, picking up trash on the mall Mm. at at the Capitol. So,
0: Mm. yeah,
3: we could. That's definitely one thing I would have done differently is figured out a way to uh, to negotiate turning myself in. Even even presenting uh, like when they did the raid, they said, where's the shotgun that you used in the video? And I said, well, since you're going to ransack my house anyway, I'll tell you this one thing. It's behind the headboard upstairs. And they got it, but then they ransacked the rest of the house anyway. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, come on, really, guys? Yeah. Um, hmm. And I had eight people uh, in the house at the time, most of whom were staff or interns, and or or guests. And they all got zip tied and sat in a room. And and you know, it, it was it was hmm. bad. My girlfriend at the time was on the sh- in the shower on her period and they pulled her out of the shower and made her sit in her own blood for a few hours like mm. i mean it was just yeah yeah avoiding that would have been nice hank
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well you know you live and learn so all right so let's go so um let's go to a couple of things here so with that you spent what like 4 months or something in jail you you um you did you make a plea or you just basically pled guilty there was no um negotiation here yeah. i think you wound up being a felon right that's what you're saying yeah.
3: There was a negotiation uh, and it was basically time served, but I, I had to plead guilty to the felony charge.
1: Okay. So and I know like earlier in the podcast here, someone asked if someone who is a felon can run for president. Uh, I think you can. I don't think that okay. has anything to do with anything in America. You just have to be born here and be, uh, what is it, 35? 35,
3: 35 like years of age, natural born citizen. Yeah. And uh, the the funny thing is, I'm allowed to run for president, but in my home state of Arizona, I'm still not allowed to vote. <laughs> That's so. um, a yeah, question. Yeah. Uh,
2: have you, I know there's a certain amount of time before you can, but have you considered uh, petitioning your rights back? Is that something yeah. for the future?
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's a little more complicated than the typical, just random single felon charge in my case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and There's the immediate security situation, and and I won't say anything about my own protocol other than the fact that I open carry pepper spray as constantly as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are usually people around me with firearms. Um, You can get an air rifle that's a 357 that you can shoot deer with now that I'm allowed to own. I'm allowed to own black powder weapons. And I'm allowed to own pre-1890 uh, manufactured weapons because they're not legally firearms. And there's a few mm-hmm. uh, functional shotguns from that era, era uh, th- that are still uh, reasonably practical uh, home defense weapons. So I'm not super concerned about fighting that because it's a it's a huge legal battle, and the result for me is is more recreational than anything. Is I get to play with guns mm-hmm. instead of just you know, worry about the security situation as, as minimally as, as possible. And I really think now. So, so if I may turn this back to the presidential campaign for a minute, because it's, it's actually related to this particular uh, legal circumstance for myself, um, is that if that's, a you know, a multi-year process, with, with this campaign, um, I don't think it's realistic to expect any libertarian to win the general election in 2020. That's almost heresy you know among libertarians. Of course we can win. And yes, uh, with the black swan moment, with, with, with some kind of massive conversion catalyst where people start really embracing libertarianism or, or you know basic American ideals of freedom. Yeah, we could win at any time. I'm not, and, and, and my campaign is not an educational campaign. We're running to win, we'll be ready to win. Uh, but realistically what we're expecting for 2020 is that we can crack 10%. That if the nominee of the Libertarian Party, whether it's me or someone else, is is someone who represents uh, not just this practical message of localization, but in a principled way, you know, the more principled you get, the more practical you get. And so to me it was, well, I can't put on the ring of of power, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna throw it in the fire. Mm -hmm. Oh, what do you know? Localization, that's really practical because if you live in, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something now that's possibly heresy among uh, the gun people too, if oh, you boy. will. Because sure. I think now that I've told that story, I, yeah, knock yourself I, out. <laughs> I think I've got some credibility talking about gun rights. Sure. You know, I've been to jail. I've put my life on the line. I've I've taken risks. I've organized for gun rights. I believe absolutely in the private property right to own whatever firearm you want today and defend yourself however you see fit. That is that is absolutely inherent to your self-ownership, and I'm not questioning that at all. Mm -hmm. The libertarian position, however, is sometimes mistakenly presented as pro-gun, as opposed to pro-gun rights, as opposed to what it is more fundamentally, which is pro-private property. So while I have a right to own a gun on my own land and you don't have any right to tell me what the shapes of metal can be of whatever metal that I, I have on my own land, at the same time, if you wanna live on your land and say it's a rule at your house that there are no guns allowed, then that trumps my right to own a gun and carry it wherever I want. I, I can't violate your private property and your rules on your private property by bringing on a gun. So this is where the localization strategy really is the everybody gets what they want strategy. Now I'm Jewish, so that the, the, the sort of you know, rise of white nationalism in the United States today is disturbing, not just at an intellectual, but a a visceral level for me. But even with that, I still want white nationalists to be able to come together and form their community on their own private land and have their own thing. As long as they're not forcing on anybody else and they're not holding anybody hostage, they have the right to organize a community how they see fit. On the flip side, Maybe you're a socialist who wants to live in a gun-free zone. I'm not going to live there, but I want you to have the right to organize that community how you want on your private land, as long as you're not forcing it on anybody else or holding any humans hostage in that land. Good to go. That's within your freedom. So when it comes to guns, in a sense, I, I understand that today they represent a unique technological phenomenon there's nothing that you can do to defend yourself in some situations other than shoot the other guy like and that's that's the world we live in today and that's fine however where we're going in the future is i think you're going to see a development of taser technology to the star trek level i know this is going uh, oh yeah we're talking about star trek but if you think about like where we are with tasers now Instead of just having to touch them against someone, you can have have a shooting taser like the cops carry that that will shoot out. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer. In today's world with that technology, you still want a gun. Mm -hmm. And it still makes sense from a security perspective in a lot of situations to own or carry a firearm. But where we're going in the future is you're going to have a taser kind of thing that would allow you to shoot someone in the pinky toe and it would disable them so that you could subdue them and zip cuff them and, you know, preserve the value of their life. And it's actually more effective for defense because if I shoot you in the foot with a firearm, you're just going to be really pissed. But if I shoot you in the, in the foot with, with a futuristic taser, then, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're disabled.
1: I think a lot of people out there would argue that point, Uh, and and it depends on situations and all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't think any situation is absolute, uh, and I and I personally believe there's situations. If you're really fighting for your life, I don't have time to shoot you in the toes. (laughs) You know, regardless of what weapon I'm using, right?
3: I'm saying if you miss. So, like, let's say you're coming, you're attacking me, Mm -hmm. right? And I have, I have, I could, I could either be carrying a handgun Mm -hmm. or I could be carrying a super taser. Okay. Now, if I have a handgun and I miss your torso Mm -hmm. or your head, I miss the, 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 the two in one shot. Right. If I hit you in the leg or if I hit you in the foot by accident, you're still going to attack me and I'm fucked. But if I have a super taser and I miss and I hit you in the foot, you're still disabled. That's a better defense weapon. Mm-hmm. now in this world where that weapon exists I still want you to have the right to own a firearm on right. your own land mm-hmm. and use it for whatever you want on your own land but if we lived in this world of with, with tasers I might say hey why are you carrying a, a handgun onto my property that's that's kind of just that, that's primitive we don't you know like we don't need that anymore we have something better so my point of saying all this okay. is that the reason I'm pro gun is not because I like guns or that they're this, um, you know, the, the, the be all end all of self technology of self-defense technology, but that there are these ethical principles that apply to firearms that apply to self-defense that are based on my philosophy of freedom and self-ownership that are, that are really important to, to, I think, tease out. And I think the gun community as a whole to, to have this this slightly more nuanced understanding of what the gun really represents, it, it, we're going to be better off than, well, I got my gun so I can shoot the tyrants when they come and I can, you know, I can put a bumper sticker on my truck. No, it, 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 it's got to be about more than that. And, and like you said earlier, Hank, you know, even with the dancing thing, just – having the gumption to stand up to authority instead of sit back and take it, whether it's about guns or zoning rights or dancing in public spaces, you know, just creating this culture of we refuse to be governed. Fuck you. Yeah. You yeah. want to tell me what to do? Fuck you. I'm an American.
1: Yeah. I think
3: you know, that, that's more important than saying I, I got my gun.
1: Yeah, I think. Oh, and also, I think, look, guns uh, it's not just for defense. It's not just for hunting. If you really believe in freedom, it's for uh, it's for whatever you want to do with it. Obviously, we right. have laws. I believe in very few laws, and and one of those would be to not you know not for murdering people, but for defending yourself in those situations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Other yeah, than so that-
3: hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You go, sorry. Finish your point. No, here. I said
1: other than that. I mean, you could have this. You could have this gun just because you enjoy shooting it, or you want to. It's a recreational sport to you, or you just like building them. You just want to own them. <laughs> you just you just yeah. want to have a lot of guns, like someone wants to have a lot of shoes or cars or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you know. Um, so I don't think mm-hmm. you're arguing mm-hmm. that for anyone. I know, obviously, you know, when you're talking to gun guys. You could very easily uh, get them activated if you tell them that they don't need it. And I, but I think people who are paying attention to what you're saying uh, will realize that. A Couple of things I want to get into here. First of all, there's some people, you know, I mean, this does look a little bit like, you know, you're this, is this a cave that you're in here? I'm just, there's people are asking me man. <laughs> yeah. It looks something like, you know, kind of like a, a ransom cave. Yeah.
3: I, <laughs> I, <Yeah. laughs> I'll give you guys just a little bit of peek of the the roof of the room that I'm in. I can't uh-huh. show too much cuz right. kind of secret, this is I, I call this my tire cave. And okay. uh, while my RVs I have I have a bus that I travel the country in. Yeah. Uh a, 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 you know, a really nice 34 yeah. foot RV. I mean, cuz normally I, I do OK, because I feel this is like American
1: Taliban or something like that. You
3: know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I really should create like a little set here that, yeah. that, that, where I'm like sitting down wearing a camouflage yeah. jacket. If you, if you put on a <laughs> turban, we're in
2: trouble. <laughs>
3: I got a I got sure. a
2: presidential question.
3: Yes. So what do you what do you say
2: to people that throw out the idea that voting for the third party is throwing away a vote? I think yeah, that's, that's a common, that's a common, you know, common idea. Sure.
3: I think, I think the opposite is true. Uh, voting for the old parties, for the duopoly is throwing away your vote. One of the things I did uh, in my last man on the street filming session, I, I, I ran into a guy, I said, who did you vote for and why? And he said, Hillary, because of the, of both candidates, she seemed like the better one. And I said, both, you mean three? And he's like, well, uh, well, Gary Johnson didn't really have a chance because, he, you know, the, the main, you know, because he, he's, you know, he's, he's a libertarian. And I said, well, so so you're telling me that you vote rather than for who you want to be president. You vote for who you think has a chance of winning. How do you decide who has a chance of winning?
1: Uh, media oh, usually I decides have- that for you. <laughs> Yeah. Ex- ex- <laughs> oh, you
3: mainstream media. So the mainstream media chose, chose your candidates for you. Yeah. And you chose from them. Really smart. And, and he was like, oh wow. And it was like just pointing this. This is what I love with my, my Socratic dialogue style. When you get a subject who's who's particularly receptive on a topic that, that, that's just ripe for this, because this was a really easy dialogue to walk him through. Mm-hmm. So uh first of all, I, I think most Americans. Uh, are are better represented by the Libertarian Party than the old parties. And I would say most human beings, essentially, because we're talking about uh, an ethical philosophy that is inherent to our humanity, that that really it should be everybody. And I'd like to separate aesthetics, how you want stuff to look, from ethics, the right and wrong of how you achieve it. And and conservatism and liberalism – are really more like aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanna live in a community where people don't do drugs. I wanna live in a community where people are religious or where people are socialists or I, whatever. It, it's how you want it to look, not how you want to achieve it. And wh- how we have been so dangerously fooled as Americans is that, well, the only way to achieve that is through the government system, which is fundamentally unethical.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So if, if I'm the nominee or someone on my platform, You're going to see a significant shift in the messaging from the Libertarian Party from being it's pro-gun and it's anti-welfare and it's pro-this and anti-that. And you go issue by issue, which is nonsense because that's playing their game of this being a political message. It's not. It's an ethical message. It's an anti-political message. And if instead we shift to localization, you can have as much government as you want as long as it's voluntary, yeah. As long as you don't force it on anybody else, and and that shift can really unify people and bring people together, and 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 babyface, just just one last point on, on your question here, that that is something the old parties do to maintain the duopoly, that is is really dangerous, I should say, it just has a really bad effect, is that if If one of their candidates is significantly ahead of the other, that frees people up to a certain degree psychologically to vote for a third party, to vote libertarian. And what they'll do is they'll actually manipulate it either in reality or in mainstream media appearances. And they'll do this anyway because they want attention to the old parties. They they want that tension. They want that drama. They want the focus on them rather than the third party option. They'll say, oh my gosh, look how neck and neck it is. And what that does is it creates this really dangerous fallacy for most voters of, well, I like Trump slightly better than I like Clinton. I like Gary Johnson a lot more, but I'm going to come out and vote for Trump because if Clinton wins, it could be a lot worse. The thing is, there are people like this on both sides. And one of the ideas that that I really want to get out there uh, for 2020, whether or not I'm the nominee, I think this is a big deal for the Libertarian Party uh, achieving major party status, is is vote swapping. There are a lot of households where uh, the man is a Republican and the woman is a Democrat. Obviously, that's a gender stereotype. Uh, it could be the other way, but where you have two people or even two friends, two people who just like each other and say you trust each other. And And, and I'm going to vote for Trump and I'm going to vote for Clinton. So we might as well stay home. Mm-hmm. But we both would prefer Gary or the libertarian. So we're going to make a handshake deal. We're going to make a pact, a voter pact to say we're both going to vote for who we really want in order to step away from this brinkmanship of let's avoid the greater evil. And and there's I could I could deconstruct this so many other different ways about how this is manipulated and how the candidates.
1: Yeah. Are, I'm pretty are sure I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But uh, so here's one of the things I think that happened. Um, there were there were people who didn't want to vote for Hillary and they didn't want to vote for Trump either. Right. Uh, including including people in the gun community, actually including a lot of people in the gun community. Yeah. The problem is the way that uh, Gary Johnson answered uh, Second Amendment gun questions was uh, very unsatisfying yeah, for on. people in the gun I community. Allow
3: me to apologize now for Gary Johnson being the nominee in 12 and 16. I like him. He's a friend of mine. He's a great dude. He's a man of impeccable integrity as he proved in his time as as governor in new mexico but he's not a libertarian he's a libertarian leaning moderate and he was weak enough on on a couple key issues that i understand a lot of libertarians and and libertarian leaning conservatives could be more tempted by trump in in 2016 i and i can't fault y'all for that
0: yeah
1: I think that's a lot of what happened there, and um, and that's why I agree with if we really had someone who understood how to get that across to us better, because look, this time around, that's going to happen again. There's a lot of people who who, fi- who feel even more burned by the fact that they did go vote for Trump, and then we're getting gun control anyway, and they will be looking to make, if you want to call it a protest vote, whatever, they will be looking to, to vote for someone else, and they might as well use that, especially if, like me and lots of folks here, we believe the whole two-party system is leading us here. I don't know if babyface, did you, go,
2: go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, no. Go, sorry, go ahead.
3: Can I, can I ask you guys a question for a sure. minute here? Because mm-hmm. this, is, this is now like research for me, for my campaign, because uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about what you just said, Hank, about that particular dynamic among pro-gun Trump supporters and the it was it was mm-hmm. by executive order, right? That bump yes. stocks were banned. Is that how it happened. He,
1: okay, he, executive uh, order to the ATF, basically, because what right. what happened so, was the ATF looked at bump stock twice, and uh, uh, actually I think it was three times under Obama, and said that that bump stocks it, are bump not machine guns. Auto- yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and okay. then and so then Trump execu- did said, it. Asked them to. Classify. Yes, he asked them to look at it, and then he gave them an executive order. To basically, bump stocks are now machine guns on their own. They don't have to be on the rifle to be a machine gun. The existence mm-hmm. of them, no one can own them. People can own machine guns um, if they have the right paperwork and the right licenses, but no one, no manufacturer, no one in a police department, no one in America can own a bump stock, which is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of. And lots of guys out here, this is why right now there's a huge bash- backlash, whether you're aware of this or not, in the gun community against the NRA, because the NRA opened yeah. the door to this saying, I
0: yeah, earlier.
1: yeah, they, they opened the door to this saying, look, let's just give them the bump stocks. You guys don't care about that. And then that'll be the end of it. And right now we're, we're also talking about going after suppressors. So yeah. 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 So I don't know. Well,
3: my question mm-hmm. to you is though, of Trump supporters or uh, of people who voted for Trump in 2016, who consider themselves part of the gun community, I have seen the, the, the Trump base torn uh, in the sense that there are some people, and it, and it seems like it might be 50-50. I haven't parsed this out. This is why I'm asking you. But it seems like half of them are personality loyalists to Trump and that while he can do wrong... He is, the, he is the disruptor, and he's the greatest thing to happen to American politics in our lifetimes, and he's the most pre-freedom president we've had in our lifetimes, and so on and so forth. And, and you know, I look at his anti-freedom policies and go, I, I can appreciate that he's a disruptor, but I, I can't say that he's taking us in any kind of meaningful pro-freedom direction in policy and in some ways is going very much anti-freedom uh, but for guns in particular, for, for people in the, in, in the gun community, with the bump stock thing, how much of that was a betrayal by which, you know what, all right, screw the 4-D chess, chess. He's not really draining the swamp. He's not really changing You know, law enforcement policy. How much of the gun community is still Trump loyalists versus feeling betrayed? And of those who are feeling betrayed— what would it get y'all to vote Libertarian in 2020?
1: OK, good question. Uh, Babyface, you want to go with that first?
2: I, yeah, I think I think a lot of his guns toting base is. Well, it, it's kind of a mix. I think that you got the fuds on one side. They're saying, oh, who cares? You don't need that anyways. And, and they're the same ones that say, oh, you don't need an AR-15. Who cares? Um, but I do think there's maybe 70 percent of the gun base that is saying, yeah, you definitely went against what I voted for. So, yeah, um, I, I think it's a large group of gun owners that feel betrayed by by him going after that and even considering going after suppressors now.
1: Yeah. And I think so. I'm going to piggyback on what uh, Babyface is saying. And, and, you know, he's a uh gentleman in his 30s I'm a gentleman in my in my late 40s um, so I think we're you know pretty much across the base there's lots of gun guys in the chat now and there'll be people who look at this later that I invite for them to uh, put what they think about this out there I think um, as as babyface said there's a there's a huge number of those people that do feel betrayed and if the libertarian party has someone who we could put any kind of faith in what they're saying like one of the things that I think that gets to us about the libertarian Party is they're just saying that. They don't really mean it. I'm not saying that you have to, you know, like love guns and have to have a thousand guns in your safe, but we want to know Mm -hmm. that they have some legitimacy to what they're saying, that they believe in the Second Amendment and that they're going to do something about it and we'll go that direction.
2: At this point, I don't think there's a politician out there, maybe a couple that I know of that truly believe in the second amendment. That's how I feel. I think um well I mean I think uh, Adam his, might I think name?
1: Adam might believe in it. He was yeah. willing to stand up for it, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, well what's his name with the eye patch? Oh god, I hate to oh, say that. Um, Dan Crenshaw. I think Dan Crenshaw would be one of them in Dan my book. But but yeah, I don't I don't feel like there are any politicians out there that stand for the Second Amendment. They stand for it because that's what gets them the votes, not because they actually believe in it. Yeah. That's how I feel.
3: Well, then, then I appreciate that. So I want I want to say two things, guys, before we move on. Since we've got uh, 40 minutes to go here, let's engage the chat a little bit. And I'd like to ask anybody in the chat and, and, and babyface if you can interrupt every few minutes when we've got some good comments from the chat mm-hmm. to, to ask people, do you feel betrayed by President Trump on firearms issues? And, and how does this affect what you think about voting for him? Versus voting for a libertarian going yeah. into 2020.
1: Yeah, Jafari Land. I'll just read this comment. Jafari Land said, "Reed Henrichs just did a good video about Trump. Um, I haven't seen that video that Reed did. Reed's a friend of mine. He's also a Marine, um, and I could tell you that he probably just like spit hellfire on Trump. Yeah, I have to go watch it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, that's who I go train with when I actually uh, do training, but." Um, yeah, I, I think uh, let's let's hear what those guys think. I don't want to put words in those guys mouths, but I think we need someone out there that we can believe in. This is not about who becomes president. And, I'll, and I just want to say this. I really think I have come to the conclusion lately and by lately, I mean, the last year or so year, two years, that the gun guys out there need someone in the White House who scares the shit out of them for them to get activated and, and stand up for the Second Amendment. So to That's me, true. it doesn't matter this time. I, I, I'm pretty, I, I know I'm done with the NRA. I could tell you that conclusively. And I did vote for Trump. But I could tell you I'm very close to being that no matter what, you know, I, I'm not gonna vote for him because of what I see happening. Since he became president, and and what he what he's still uh threatening to do and what we know he's going to follow through with so i think that lots of us are there
2: Mm -hmm. you're getting betrayed 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 absolutely betrayed absolutely feel betrayed (laughs) We need some yeah we need somebody that stands up for the second betrayed so yeah i i can tell you how our chat's gonna feel because we you know we see it every night or i see it most nights of the week hank sees it every night but yeah that we're kind of we're kind of preaching to the choir in that in that aspect
3: all right. Well, well, Hank and, and Babyface, let me let me make a a, a direct appeal to single-issue gun issue, you know, single-issue voters whose issue is firearms. And um, most people who are single-issue voters are, are are bullshit. But because gun rights are so fundamental to freedom and the use of force and the relationship with government, uh, I really do respect people who make firearms their one issue. it, it is one that is is uniquely qualified to be a single it's issue. a
1: linchpin, it's a pivot it's it, it's everything like I, I believe in lots of things uh, you know above or or around firearms but how you do not have anything you cannot defend
3: all right well so let me let me uh, as a candidate now that, that we have the time and, and, and since we're getting past the sound bites with with this good conversation here um, about what exactly I am proposing to do for gun rights in America Because you guys say Second Amendment. I'm like, yeah, 100 percent all there, because I believe in the principle of it. I'm not really a Second Amendment guy in the sense that it's those words and that document because they're not sacred. What is sacred is your right as an individual to, to own yourself and defend yourself as you see fit. And that is Deeper and truer and more universal to the human condition than words written on a piece of paper, no matter how righteous those words could be. So I I, I get that people say, "Are you a two-way guy?" Well, yeah, okay, I'm a two-way guy, but not really because I don't believe in in the document. I'm 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 a pro freedom guy at a much deeper level. So when you said, "Are you pro two-way?" I'm like, "Yeah," but I have to explain that, and I want to say, "Hold on, let me let me finish because this is this is the localization pitch." For, for gun owners and for people who are single-issue firearms voters is that I'm not going to preserve the Second Amendment. We're going we're, 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 we're declaring the Constitution itself uh, a, a dead letter, the, the, the institution that it created, the federal government. And by the way, we had more freedom under the Articles of Confederation before that. The Constitution historically was a step backwards for freedom. But I'm going to say the Constitution is null and void. So in a sense, there will be no federal protection for your firearms rights. But has the federal government really been a protector of your firearms rights or a threat to it? And I would say it's been more of a threat to it. But more importantly, and this is, I need you guys to just stop and think and really consider this one really important point about localization is that if we stay under this one government, if we agree to this un-American concept of centralization of power, then we are going to be fighting every liberal in this country to determine national gun control policy. And that's a fight we're probably going to lose in the long run. And I don't want to fight that fight. If Again, if we instead embrace localization, you're much more likely to find a state or a county or a community where firearms rights are absolutely unquestionably respected. So instead of saying, let's argue about this at the national level and convince everybody in New York and California to agree with us on firearms rights, let them have their their, their little socialist... Uh, utopias and have their failed experiments, because it's going to mean that your rights and your state are going to be more likely to be preserved and relevant to you. But as has always been the case, as Thomas Jefferson said, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And I would rather be fighting a state government than the federal government when it comes to firearms rights. And I'd rather get it even more local than that. And I think that's the ultimate promise that this platform and this campaign offers for people who are pro-gun is that if you live in a state or an area that's pro-gun, it will become more pro-gun and will be free of all bullshit federal restrictions on how that community determines its own firearms policy. So, but, so what do you – how do you feel about – first off, where do you
2: where do you call home? Because uh, you said you lived in Virginia at one point. Where do you call home now?
3: Arizona. I live in the Arizona? Mountains.
2: So um, a question that I would have is what happens to us that live in the fighting states? So New York and California obviously are anti-gun. Places like Montana, where you have to fend for yourself, is obviously very pro-gun. What about us in Florida, where it's 50-50? You got people down south that would love to see them gone. You got people up north that – like us that we don't want them taken away we will never give them up
1: yeah that's the that re- that's work? the realistic and, and let me just uh, mm-hmm. piggyback on that there's there's philosophy and then there's what's, what's going to happen in the real world. Practice, yeah. yeah, and then I that's the, that's the that's the realistic thing about dissolving the union, dissolving the government, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, throwing away the constitution and things like that. Like I understand where you're coming from philosophically and 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 mm-hmm. I, I and I actually admire that and I respect that, Adam. But the reality of it is well, if we actually got there, we would have to deal with that.
3: We yes. like oh, us yes. specifically. Yeah. That, that's why I said the eternal vigilance quote is that it's not just, hey, we're going to get rid of all federal gun laws and then it's going to be all peachy keen. No, you still got to worry about state gun laws and you're still going to have to fight those battles of the state. But now you're only fighting the state. Is the gun community more likely to win when it's only fighting the state government or when it's fighting the federal government and all the corrupt influences with that? Yes. So one it makes that fight easier. Okay,
1: but that's it. But that's it. But you see, what you're talking about, and and I don't think it's it's realistic what you're saying like if you became president you're dissolving this is what we're discussing here right the end game of, of if 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 you actually became president and i know you already said that it's really not about becoming president it's about getting Correct. a significant vote for the libertarian party to change the future of what happens here but the reality of what happens uh, if let's like let's say we do that thought experiment if you get if you do become president and you dissolve the government we're going to be living in anarchy and it's not going to be fun <laughs> it's it's, no, you know, no, it's going to be a lot. OK, no,
3: no, 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 There's no anarchy. The state governments are there. There's going to be a peaceful, orderly, responsible disillusion process where the state governments are able to carry on all the continual functions. Yeah. that Yeah. But what is but what about
1: as as Babyface is saying, where we live in Florida, where this is literally this is split. This is a 50 you know, 50. It's a purple state.
3: I, 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 can address, I can address that. But before I address that. Uh, Let me take a step back because I think I think I cut myself off or uh, we got we got sidetracked talking Mm -hmm. about uh, the long term uh, strategy with this campaign is that in 2020, we can break 10 Mm percent if we come forth with a a radical idea. And by radical, I mean not fringe or extreme, I mean radical in the true sense of the word of striking at the root of the problem, you know, a solution as big as the problem, then we can bring in enough disenfranchised and independents and general typical non-voters to crack 10% and set the stage for 24 or 28 when people are ready for this. Like I said, without some kind of black swan event we're not going to elect a libertarian in 2020. Mm -hmm. We should be fighting for that black swan event. That's what the Libertarian Party is all about. Now, to your question specifically, Babyface, about how that happens at the state level. So in in, in some ways, the federal government in a state like New York is, is, is a slight bulwark against encroachment on firearms rights. But generally speaking, New York State, very restrictive gun laws, the best that you get. And I'll correct you if you guys are, are, are more up on the legality here, correct me if I'm wrong. But from what I understand, the, in, in a really anti-gun state or a state that has just very restrictive policies, the only federal law that's relevant to protect your rights as a gun owner from out of state is that you can drive through that state with a firearm locked and separated from the ammo in the trunk. Right. So, I mean, that's you're not getting much. You're, you're losing way more from threats from federal encroachment. There, so, so the two answers, though, specifically to that, one is that this is only the first step. Localization is not getting rid of the federal government and having autonomous state governments. Localization means getting government down all the way to the most local level possible so that ultimately, the individual sovereignty of every American is respected because your community government is voluntary and you can opt out on your own land at any time. You can create your own community. And secondly, you can vote with your feet. So while it might be that we get rid of the federal government and then New York becomes more restrictive on guns, maybe even, maybe you lose that fight in Florida. I'm not promising a panacea here. You might lose that fight in Florida and Florida goes anti-gun for a while. But more importantly, people are going to see so many benefits from localization, from freedom in general, from being rid of federal regulations and taxes and all of the corruption at the federal government level, that there is going to be a race to localize. So now a race, I'm talking on the scale of decades here. You know, if, if we win in 2024- We take office in 25. A lot of stuff is going to get done. If you guys, again, if you want to get into going agency by agency, how does each one work? Some of them very quick, you know, they're gone in the first few months. We handle the records and and, and they're disbanded. With the military, huge logistics process. Just that, just bringing home the troops and equipment from overseas is going to take several years. The CIA, the FBI, Some of those resources for law enforcement, we might wanna hand over to the states. Some we might just wanna liquidate. That's gonna take some time. So it's gonna be at least a decade before you go, okay, now we have 50 independent states, they're sovereign, they're stable, they've adjusted, they've got their resources from the federal uh, distribution put to use. People are comfortable being a part of the sovereign state of whatever, And then you're going to see states go, well, hey, can we dissolve down to the county level? This localization thing was so good. We already enjoy so much more freedom, so much more of a customized government experience. We want to take it to the next level. So even if you lose in Florida, and again, the the culture, the paradigm of how people think is really more important than the immediate legal situation. Uh, one of my fellow candidates, uh, Arvind Vorha, a great candidate, former uh, LNC member and LP vice chair, uh, he says, if you got rid of this entire government, and by the way, the federal government is 3 million out of 22 who, million who work for federal, state, and local government combined. We're not talking about that many employees. But he says... If you got rid of the entire government today, this culture would produce the exact same government tomorrow. <laughs> and and maybe it's not that exact, but the paradigm, if people think we need a president, people think we need gun laws, people think we need taxes, people think we need all the policies of corporatism and regulation, the drug war, they'll demand it and we'll get it again. And in the long run, what we have to do is change the paradigm, and this is where my message to, to the gun community would say, keep getting out there, be bold, be active, be without being confrontational, without being scary, be in your face. Get get out there and, and do things like load a shotgun. I mean, I haven't heard of anybody else doing anything really like that since I did it in 2013. Yeah. You know, where, where is... Where where is the activism changing the paradigm, making sure that when we get government down to the Florida level, that you win that battle?
1: Yeah, listen, I agree with you. That's that definitely something has to be done. I think there's there's um a, you know obviously it's a complete we're, it's going to be a completely different world uh, the, from, than the one that you're imagining. Um, but where's the where's the rest of the Libertarian Party? Uh, with your particular philosophy here? Are they in line with what you're saying or you're trying to get them in line with what you're saying? Because I doubt that the folks who are, you know, mostly controlling what's going on in the Libertarian Party are planning that if in 2024 or any time after that, uh, they are the ones leading the country, sitting, you know, in the White House, that they're going to dissolve the government.
3: Well, uh, you'd you'd be... Positive, su- positively surprised, actually, and uh, I mean, let me let me bare my soul on behalf of the Libertarian Party here and talk about all of the internal conflicts and 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 soul-searching type <laughs> right. questions that we ask ourselves. Uh, but first, let me point out that Gary Johnson is not representative of the base of the Libertarian Party. And it's it's a big mistake if you think that's what it is. And I can kind of explain this quickly, numerically. There are about a thousand delegates at the National Convention every four years who all get to vote for whomever they want to be the vice president and presidential nominees. And at the end of convention season in 2016, only about 60 percent of the slots were filled. And they were able to fill the rest of the slots after convention season, kind of at the last minute, with Gary Johnson supporters. Now, this isn't cheating. I'm not faulting him for this. This is just playing the game better. Mm -hmm. But if the Libertarian Party turned out more of its grassroots, you'd see it be a lot more Libertarian and we'd be electing Libertarian candidates instead of Libertarian-leaning moderates or other forms of uh, of washed up yeah. Republicans. Or what I
1: hear is maybe if uh, us gun guys went into the Libertarian party, we could take those damn delegates.
3: Um, Absolutely, it would be <laughs> and very easy. we can control easy, that bad boy.
0: <laughs>
3: I, would, I would love exactly. So well, a big part of my campaign has been organizing delegates over the last three years and we've recruited over 3000 people and we only need a thousand hypothetically, you know, to be delegates, because I know we'll have some attrition over that time. But right now we're organizing state coordinators and regional coordinators. And it's very easy. It's embarrassing how easy it is to be a national delegate for the Libertarian Party. You go to your state convention and they say, who wants to be a national delegate? You raise your hand and then you go to the national convention. How many delegates only-
1: is it for each state? Is that a set number or does it depend on the state or the size if- of the state?
3: It's dependent on the success of the state party, but they end up being roughly apportioned by population because vote total is one of the factors. Um, so when it comes to whether to, to, answer, your, so I to answer your question more directly, there, there's a sort of false divide in the party between the, the radicals and the prags, and that's the pragmatists versus the, the, the philosophical libertarians and the losing strategy for gary johnson was well he doesn't really believe in what we believe in he's not really going to inspire anybody to think differently the way that we think differently but he's a two term governor he's got mainstream credibility he's socially liberal fiscally conservative let's just kind of put him forward and hide behind him and and that's been that's really how that came about most people in the Libertarian Party are much more like me, at least in terms of the philosophy and saying, no, these are absolute ethical principles. You own yourself. The non-aggression principle is ethics. Government is is illegitimate as an unethical, coercive institution, et cetera, et cetera. So the people who I've recruited were on board with my specific pitch for localization, you know, going back years and and of, of my audience, my fan base. Uh, you know, I have a lot of fans who are constitutional conservatives. I have a lot of fans who are, you know, anti-war or pro-drug types. So I have people who, who just enjoy my message who aren't fully on board. But I would say of my base, it's like 70 to 80 percent is like totally on board. And then if you go to the the, the Libertarian Party uh, establishment, I, I laugh every time I call it the establishment because it's the anti-establishment establishment. But the, the, the base of the party, you know, the 400 people or so who will show up at every uh, national convention, no matter what, who are the ones who organize their state and county convention meetings. Those people, um, they, they all really like me because I've been a lifetime Libertarian Party member since I could first afford it when I got back from Iraq. I've dedicated my life to full-time Libertarian activism for you know, over 12 years. Um, and there are some reservations about this strategy of saying, hey, let's be less about ideology, let's be more about principle, let's be more about ethics, let's be more about unity and do that by policy-wise being about localization. And it sounds a little bold, but actually dissolving the federal government in a peaceful manner is more reasonable than keeping it going. And most of them, like, I would say of those people, you know, very few of them get it right away, but most of them get it after listening to me for an hour. Okay. You know, they come I, mean,
1: I, and- I mean, listen, I, I like you. I, I understand what you're saying. And there's parts of it that I completely agree with. Here's the problem. Dissolving all these things in America, the practicality of it. You know, uh, th- this is what people, I think, are looking at, right? What's the practicality of okay, we actually get the White House and then we dissolve everything, realizing that at the end of the day, we do have, we are sitting in a breadbasket here in America. America itself is is prime real estate on the face of this planet. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. You know, I I get I I understand what you're saying about the military industrial complex and and sending. Uh, folks over to die for no reason I agree with that but ultimately we still have to defend this we still have to yeah. figure out a way to stay together yeah. someone has to take charge and and actually right the ship run the ship someone it, it, it sounds terrible but someone has to do it we can't like have a goal that if we get someone in there then we dissolve everything and then that's going to solve what's going on most people in the world are sheep and they have to be led by someone or, well, or am know, I totally insane? Am I am I alone? Insane? I'm, sane with, nah, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. No, 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 no. You're
3: not. I mean, there's there's oh, wow, There's so much to unpack there. Now we've been in this for an hour yeah, and 45 minutes. Still, got,
1: yeah, and, I, and you could come back in the future. We, we have time and you can yeah. come back. But, you know, I think yeah. that this is what we really we really have to deal with, because that's what scares people away ultimately to say, OK, so the the end goal of this philosophy is that we're going to win. We're going to get the White House. And what we're going to do is we are going to dissolve the government, even though a lot of us agree that we yeah, need on, smaller on, government, hold on, hold on, hold on, less laws, on, et I got to interrupt
3: because mm-hmm. it's not you, you got to be careful to not misrepresent this. I never said dissolve the government, which would be everything state, local, federal. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is dissolve the federal. Mm-hmm. So just please just, just be careful. Say dissolve the federal states are still intact. And if anything, they become stronger temporarily. Mm hmm. No, I listen. So okay, the whole so like, you gave me so much mm. to respond to in that, and it's it, it is something that you know you, you have to think about because we are so ingrained in this par- Like I, I am intellectually challenging everybody who hears this, or at least most people, to say you have some ideas in your head that really are contradictory to this. But let's examine how did they get there? Why do we confuse the government with the country? Mm -hmm. And I know this is a point you guys can really appreciate. We make America stronger the less government we have. And I'll go even a step further in this in the sense that I'm an American imperialist in terms of Americanism, Mm -hmm. not the American government. The American government, especially the federal government, is a tumor on our ass, of a country, it is not our country. It is not our national identity. We don't need to be united under for, one government for, for to be sure, united as a character. For sure, we've
1: let the federal government get really bloated. For sure, without a doubt, right? Without a doubt, so we've, decentral- it, we've yeah, we've we've let it get so, bloated. So the
3: defense, So you you raise the defense question, mm-hmm. and there's there's two tricky philosoph. Uh, le- please, let me let me make a couple philosophical points on this, and 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 then and then one conclusion. Uh, about the flat Earth. Don't let me forget that. So, um, when it yeah, when it you. comes to this, <laughs> don't I add the flat earth. earth. Okay, I, please. I am not now don't add that to I this. Am not now, nor have I ever <gasps> okay, been a good. flat Earth. Right. I'm, no, I'm using it to make a very important point, though. Okay, but okay. I'll come back to that. Okay. So the thing about defense, the one really significant objection to this platform that that comes from. A sort of legitimate uh, logistical perspective is the national defense, and this is something that I could talk about by itself for hours. Because, as a combat veteran, it's something that, that that's really near and dear to my heart. Not just because I was a combat veteran, but specifically because I followed orders that I should not have. You know, you have. I, I tortured people in Iraq. I, I participated in sleep deprivation guarding detainees. And that was a violation of the Geneva Conventions. And what I should have said when I was ordered to do that was, uh, hey, isn't this a violation of the Geneva Conventions? Is there a different way we can do this? And then eventually say, okay, I'm not doing it and face the consequences. And, and that's the difference, again, between being a, a warrior and a soldier and the idea of centralization versus decentralization. So you say someone needs to be in charge, and 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 in some cases to do certain things. Absolutely, that's true. I am suggesting that I should be in charge of the dissolution of the federal government, that I should be the bankruptcy agent. And how? Uh, what,
1: quest- what time period do you think that's going to take?
3: Well, hold on. I, I mentioned okay. earlier that it, it would be about a decade for the whole process. So
1: 10 years. Probably
3: most of it would be done in the first year. And then there's kind of a long tail for, okay. for, for some of the other parts right. of it. That, but that but let's realize
1: done. that at the most, by the way, everything's set up right now, obviously, you know, you get one term, then you then you get to uh, run for election to get a second term. No second f- term. OK, no, there's no, see, but you second just term. said 10 years. So you, you, you're going to change right. that, that immediate no structure
3: because there is no election the constitution is already a dead letter at that point so we don't get to elect so another so basically
1: if you get elected you become a dictator and and you tear up the constitution and everything else and and you know, write the rules
3: not, because the, the only so in in order for me to tear up the constitution at the same time i in in order to do that i'm not i cannot be submitting another governing document and saying, this is now the source of my authority. So what we're going to do is have on the website before the national convention next year, by the time I'm ever actually asking someone to vote for me, which is not voting for me, it's voting for this exact plan. We're going to have it written out on the website as this exact plan. And you're going to be able to see agency by agency what happens and that there is no authority that I would have beyond being Custodian of the federal government, which is the title that I would I would take. But hold on, now you got me off my my other my other thought on because oh, it's on just the an
1: interesting thing. If you look at it, I know it's kind of simplistic the way I'm putting it, but basically the way it sounds to my simple uh, caveman brain is: you become president, you're saying it takes ten years, but there is no reelection. Hold
3: on, hold on. there is so the the, the wh- I don't think I mentioned okay. this specifically, mm-hmm. but one of the parts that happens on day one as I sign the one executive order is that the federal government is of no authority. Yeah, yeah. so this Can is the executive
1: Trump? order to end all executive orders. And in some people's mind, they could see this as worse than any executive orders that Trump has done. <laughs> Anything, you know, worse than whatever Obama did. If you take all the executive orders and lump them together, because, I mean, this is a, you know, this it, it could be viewed as a pretty totalitarian mm-hmm. executive order.
3: Not if the American people overwhelmingly vote for it, and I'm not going to accept victory on this platform with 34% to the old party's 33-33, mm-hmm. because that would mean that two-thirds of the country voted for there to be a president, and only one-third voted for there not to be a president. So that would not be acceptable, and I would I would not uh, I would not try to do that under that those circumstances. In fact, I think we're going to need an overwhelming majority. I think it's going to have to be more like 60%. Um, But this this idea of of decentralization as opposed to centralization, the militia-based defense means that anybody can opt out at any time and go and do something else or do something more effective for defense. So we have a more effective defense system. This is, again, what the founders advocated for. They were against anything resembling what they called a standing army. They did not want the United States to have a military. They wanted us to have an active, vibrant, engaged, organized, well-regulated citizen militia. Yeah, that's a more re- ready to ready, ready to
1: organize very quickly. But I also don't think the the founding fathers envisioned that what they put together would be torn asunder in 2020 or 2024, and and become something completely different. I, I'm not no, saying that they envisioned no, this either no, that no, w- no, of what we're living.
3: There's a very important semantic distinction here. Mm -hmm. I say founders versus framers Mm -hmm. as very different terms. The founders of this country were the ones who said, fuck you to a king. We'll fight for our freedom. We're not going to be part of your empire anymore. Mm -hmm. They created a set of colonies that then were sovereign and independent and were organized at first under the Articles of Confederation, which gave them a lot more autonomy. There's a dangerous mythology in the United States that the framers were the founders because they started the corporation that is the federal government. And if anything, you look at what Patrick Henry, the anti-federalists, had to say about it. They were very much against this. The real founders of this country, generally speaking, were against. And and again, you could count it, and I'm not pretending to be an historical Mm -hmm, expert here. mm -hmm. But let's just take peek behind the curtain of the mythology that has been foisted upon us by government-run schools that don't even explain what government is. So, no, the founders of this country who said we shouldn't have a standing army, we should have a militia-based defense, they saw the Constitution as a huge step backwards for freedom, creating this new central authority, this new concentrated power that they actually thought shouldn't exist. In terms of what the founders envisioned, getting rid of the federal government is the best thing that we could possibly do. So the specialization of leadership, I'm going to sidebar on this since you brought it up, Hank. Sometimes I challenge my audience. I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, I have a little habit of doing that. because I like to think anybody who's listening to me is at least open-minded enough to change their paradigm a little bit. Um, sometimes I'll say, how many of you designed the cut of the shirt that you're wearing right now? And everybody looks at me like, what the heck is he talking about? Of course I didn't. I I bought this at Walmart. And uh, unless there's one smartass in the back going, yeah, I'm a fashion designer, right? Uh But uh, the point is, when it comes to fashion and design, most of us are sheeple, most of us are followers. And you could use those pejorative terms and say, when it comes to fashion, you're a follower. Your fashion sense sucks. You get it completely from someone else. When it comes to architecture and construction, you never put any thought into how your home was built. When it comes to automobile repair, you don't know how to fix your car. You you don't know how to build a car from scratch. You let someone else do that. You're a follower. You're a sheeple. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's unnecessarily demeaning and negative. Most Americans are not what you you said there, Hank. I really do take issue with that. Maybe it's just I have a more positive view of human nature, but we all engage in outsourcing decision-making. We all engage in outsourcing specialization of leadership. When it comes to fashion design, I don't need to design my own shirt. I'll go and get this at Walmart for 12 bucks. Someone else can design it. I'm not even going to question them. It looks good. It feels good on me. It works. Cool. And similarly with government, for those of us who are paying attention to this, it's incumbent upon us. I don't want to say it's a duty or an obligation or responsibility or any of that crap, but it's, it's a chance for us to, to have leadership in the political realm and say localization is the way to go. It's the everybody gets what they want strategy, and we're going to show you how this immediately makes your life better. So I want to make one point about my platform before I get into the flat earth thing and that'll be my last big point. Okay. Before you guys want to get me last shots in or we want to check in with the chat. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm going to tell the chat right now. Start throwing up your questions, comments or whatever. Yeah, so let I'll let Babyface check those out. Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
3: Okay. So one thing that I didn't get to mention because mm-hmm. we've had so much fun talking about so many other big topics and stuff related to the, the gun community is that is what it means to be the bankruptcy agent of the United States, and that I have a fiduciary responsibility to repay the true creditors mm-hmm. of the federal government. Now we owe, we owe, and I hate that because it's not we; it's the federal government's debt on paper. Is, is what? I, I, what's the what's the recent number? That's, it's uh. Some trillion.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, Some tens of trillions of
1: dollars. Yeah. I don't know if it's – is it 12, 13 trillion? I'm not sure. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Whatever. That absurd amount. Mm -hmm. First of all, government debt is intergenerational child abuse because when you're born into this country, you are saddled with a share of the national debt that you never had a say on. You never had a voice in whether or not that money was going to be spent in your name and whether that debt was going to be attached to you. And most of the debt of the federal government is owed to foreign banks, foreign corporations and other banking type institutions where the the debt can really just be written off. And I'm not saying there won't be consequences and upheaval, but it'll be good consequences in terms of. Yeah. overthrowing the tables of the money changers.
1: Yeah, we're getting like There's 22 22 trillion is what I'm seeing from the in the chat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay, 22 trillion. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, the federal debt is going to largely be written off. Some of it is going to be determined to be legitimate debt, and as a bankruptcy agent, we will do our best to repay those specific debts that that are legitimate to individuals or small businesses or whatever. But the debt to foreign governments and the large banking corporations, and this is why they'll never let me on mainstream media right here, all of that debt is being written off. It goes away. It's not a legitimate debt. You can't force people to pay for something that they didn't have a say in and that they didn't agree to. Uh So as we liquidate the assets of the federal government that do not get spun off. Like I said, the VA will get spun off as a as – a, as a, uh, it's, it's not a private institution. You could call it that, but I would like to see the Department of Veterans Affairs become a public trust where every veteran in America gets one ownership voting share and gets to set the policy through voting on a blockchain. Not that difficult to achieve. We can make that transition happen. But for the buildings, for the, the, the absurd piles of weapons – for, for some of the lands, for the things that we liquidate, what we do with those funds, I, it's, it's my responsibility, like I said, to pay back the true creditors. And it's the American people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what taxpayer has not been so, – by the way, taxation is theft, if I didn't say that earlier. What American has not been stolen from as a taxpayer, an uh, uh, in, in subordinate amount – by the federal government.
1: Well, for your entire (laughs) working life. Listen, without a doubt, without a doubt, the America that we live in, the world, the whole world that we live in and the government structures that exist around the world, not just in America, they're a construct, right? Without a doubt. Uh, Money, construct, right? It's not a real thing. Currency or whatever, it's not real. Okay, so there's constructs around us. And that's why I understand exactly what you're saying. We're we're probably, we're we're having like this kind of thought experiment, right?
3: Let me just finish this one policy point. Okay, The liquidated assets go to Social Security spun off as a public trust, and that's how we pay back the American people. Mm-hmm. That was the end of that point.
1: Yeah. Listen, I, the, the thing that I think about this, without a doubt, like what I was saying there, I think we're, we're living in a construct. I, I mean, we could simplify yeah. it to say we're living in the matrix, but it's kind of the blue pill, the red pill thing, you know, that we have going on. We're living in a construct already. That's what modern civilization is, um, you know, and and what you're proposing, I think, like if it if it falls through exactly that way, which in reality, even if you got there, it's not gonna fall through that way, right? Because there's this thing that um if you ever looked at the first Jurassic Park, you know, where um I forgot the name of that weird uh actor that's in that's in Jurassic Park, he says like uh yeah. life. Yeah, life I know exactly what you're
3: talking Yeah, about
1: life happens. A whole bunch of things. Life happens. Life life, like, One of the lines Life finds a way. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I think that's the ultimate thing that we're dealing here. We're already living in a construct. If you try to strip that away from people, there's a lot of people who don't really want to wake up to it. There's some of us who awake at a certain level. And there's all there's all kinds of complex things going on here that we're talking about. Um, Uh, Hey, hey, Hank, can
3: I just since we're coming up on six o'clock? Yeah. uh, Are we okay to go over by about 15 minutes? Uh, I think we can go. I think we can go over. Yeah. Okay, I, I'd like to propose a, a, just a quick agenda, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, to wrap this up, because I do have to go. Mm-hmm. But there, there I, I want to make my flat earth point. Okay. So I want to do a light. Yes, okay, flat earth. I, I want to do a, a closing remark, just my closing plugs. Okay. And then I want to show you how life finds a way at Freedom right. Farm, okay? Jeff, Jeff Goldblum,
1: so, Jeff Goldblum, by the way.
3: Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Right. All right, so for the first point, the flat earth concept. At one point in human history, most people on Earth believed that the Earth was flat and the center of the universe. And then they made all these complicated equations to explain what they were observing in the motions of stars and other celestial bodies and planets relative to the Earth. And it didn't really make sense. The patterns were very complicated and, and they had to make lots of very complex equations to explain their observations okay then someone came along and said hey maybe the earth is round and and it's not the center of the universe and then all of a sudden all of the equations got very simple because oh it's all elliptical patterns and oh everything makes sense and a lot of people resisted because they were stuck in this flat earth paradigm and they had invested so much thought and energy into these equations they couldn't just give it up and go oh it can't possibly just be that simple because i've spent all this time i've put on all this effort i was in the military for 20 years i was a civil servant for my entire life my dad's been a cop for his entire life my brother was in the military how could it possibly be simpler that we don't actually need these institutions i've committed so much But if you just go, no, people should be free because the flat earth in this analogy is the current paradigm of government as a coercive, centralized authority being good and necessary and righteous. And the truth is we should be free. We should live in a world where our individual rights are respected, where all human relations are free of force and fraud and coercion. And the way most people wake up to libertarianism is very similar intellectually from this process that humanity went through as a whole, from flat earth to round earth being the paradigm. And for most people, it was, well, the men in fancy hats say that the earth is flat, so I guess it's flat. Well, now the men in fancy hats say it's round, so I guess it's round. It's that appeal to authority, specialization of leadership, and all that. So... Similarly, with, with, with this concept of ethics behind libertarianism, I, I would I would invite everybody who's who's listening to the show right now, who, who's not yet a libertarian, to, to to consider this flat earth, round earth analogy and, and go, wow, you know, it really might be that simple. Now, even listening to me for two hours like this, you're not gonna go, oh, I get it. Because that's not how people realize that they're libertarians. It really happens in, in quiet contemplation. It happens in you know reflecting on your worldview for yourself and, and running these new ideas through all of the various filters of your experiences. So I encourage people, especially for whom this might be the first exposure to these ideas, to really consider that. Now I get in my shameless plug Boom, for my the book. book
0: comes
3: <laughs> <out>. <laughs> this is a book I started writing when I was in jail. If you want the ultimate primer in libertarianism, this is it. It's a hundred pages, so it's very short. It's free in every digital format possible, including audiobook at thefreedomline.com. We sell them as cheap as we can get away with on Amazon. So please check that out, please share it. If you can get the digital version, just check out the first few chapters and and, and I guarantee it'll it'll change your perspective. So um, on that note, the last thing I'll say is that similarly in this flat earth, round earth comparison where you go from a false, overly complex model to a true simple model, the libertarian party being about socially liberal, fiscally conservative, pro-gun, anti-tax, pro this, and that's the comp no localization and ethics and unity. It you this is what brings Americans together in respect for each other's freedom as opposed to fighting over. Uh, the the one size fits nobody solution. All right, so with that, let's do a lightning round, shall we?
1: Yeah. Um. Do you want to Do you want to open this up to the folks out there, babyface? What kind of comments are you seeing right now? Let's uh, g- let some people get their uh, voices in here. Um. You know, and feel free. It's just, they're, they're
2: kind of just talking amongst themselves. Yeah,
1: um, I know there's some dissent out there. Look, ultimately I think if you wanna make this look like the matrix, you know, I think that uh, if you wanna do the matrix analogy on this, most people are gonna choose the matrix ultimately, right? And that's the thing. And, and, and the, the reality, the reality I think is somewhere in between. Because of the nature of who we are as human beings, we need to live in a construct That's just that's just the bottom line of who we are. That's why we form societies. That's why we do it. We need to live in a construct, uh, whether of our own design or of someone else's design. Um, You know, listen, um, I know that when Joe was telling me about you, he said, this guy's really interesting. Uh, Joe, you didn't lie. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't lie whatsoever. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> he did not lie. Uh, and you are very interesting, man. And I and I could see us definitely uh continuing this conversation. Um, you know <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things here that people have to absorb. So I would agree with you. I think if folks out there wanted if you want to explore this more, it's very easy to uh to follow Adam, right? Um yep. so follow him. Yeah. Read read the book. book. Read Read, read the book up there.
3: I know people hate reading books these days. I know you got it. It's a free audio book. It's only three hours. It's only 100 pages. But you still have to. If if you really want to do this, if you really want to open your mind and adjust your paradigm you have to stop yeah. and let me let me ask the- you
1: let me ask you this Adam let me ask you this what kind of stuff have you had what kind of assistance have you had in terms of the red pill and the blue pill in opening your mind and i'm not trying to make fun of you you know i i mean i think you've been doing some of this in the cave i think you you know
3: been <laughs> doing some things
1: what kind of things out there for the folks who need some help along the way uh
3: well, which which were the which red pill? I know yeah. people use that term to mean so many different. I, I love how that's the, the men's rights movement seems to have owned red pilling.
0: Mm-hmm. and
3: uh, I don't really have a problem with that. and i've I've certainly I've seen the red pill documentary, and i I get mm-hmm. the uh, the whole pro men's rights perspective. Right. Uh, it's a very important one. But if you mean, how, how did I wake up? Right. Yeah. How did I? Form yeah. my my yeah.
1: Was this, was some um, of this assisted by chemical, whether natural or other otherwise? <laughs> <You know. laughs> well,
3: I will, I will say uh, cannabis probably saved my life when I got back from Iraq. I went to the VA and told them I was having trouble sleeping. I walked out of there with five prescriptions after talking to a shrink for five minutes. Three of them had suicide listed as a side effect. Instead of taking them, I smoked cannabis to control my PTSD symptoms when I needed to. And, and that may have in and of itself saved my life. I'm yeah. also generally speaking a big fan of psychedelics, not as a party drug or party drugs, but it, as a meditative exercise, as a uh, therapeutic exercise. My friend Kevin Matthews. In Denver, just got mushrooms decriminalized there, psilocybin mushrooms. The therapeutic value for those with PTSD are huge. For any veterans, listen, just because I know there are a lot of veterans always in the firearms community or the gun Absolutely. community in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are concerned about smoking pot and losing gun rights, but I've seen way worse shit happen to individuals who took the prescription meds from the VA, whatever, whatever it is. Don't do it. I it, think prescription
1: it's, it's, meds are way more dangerous than anything that exists out there in the world, naturally. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, and that's coming from someone who my wife's a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. I just heard her come in here. That's what's gotten me so fat. But um, I think it's a, <laughs> it's it's pretty it's a pretty destructive thing. And I've seen it in lots of ways, you know, and for someone who's a veteran, man, I, I, ne- I never served. I um, I have lots of friends who did. That'd and and I've
3: hard enough to learn from the mistakes of others.
1: Well, yeah, listen, I've, I've had a lot of friends who have, man, and, you know, I'm glad that that this is your path instead of, unfortunately, the path that lots of other veterans have taken, and we don't have them here. I would rather have you here uh, talking to us about these things and, and we could have this conversation and bend our minds a little bit than, unfortunately, not having some of those good dudes who
3: aren't here anymore
1: to talk about it. You so know?
3: I would just encourage every veteran out there, uh, cannabis is so legal in this country, it's not even fun to smoke anymore, but you can, you can get it safely off the record. Uh, the only reason to not smoke cannabis as an alternative to psychotropic medications given by the VA is if there's a specific one that you need or you're at a job where they're going to piss test you. And I mean, I have a friend who was smoking cannabis to avoid the psychotropics, and then he got a government job where he got piss tested and now he's like, Well shit, man, to control my anxiety, I gotta take the, the these pharmaceuticals, and now I have headaches and I don't sleep well. I'm not suicidal yet, but you know, I'm slightly more in that direction. And mm-hmm. for, for any veterans, you know who who might be considering taking their own lives, warriors are still needed. Mm-hmm. Don't believe it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and uh, reach out and talk to someone i'm a hap- my my information's out there if anyone uh wants to talk to me i talk to people all the time you know reach out and talk to someone uh find something to do i think idle hands and idle minds are incredibly destructive definitely find find a mission you know and and i think that's what you've done adam i don't want to you know simplify yeah, I, your life in any yeah. way man after you've done everything that you've done in your life so
3: oh, yeah yeah i know and for sure that's yeah i'm really glad you used that exact language because if there are any veterans listening who are sitting on their disability and drinking themselves into bottles and watching TV all day, thinking you need a mission, yeah, I got covered. Send yeah. me an email, Adam at thefreedomline I mean, you could help this production. Anything, any, help help me out. You could, I could, I could help you. I I love being an activist activist, you know, who's yeah. always helping other activists, supporting independent media and all that. And so, so let me just say, you know, one thing here now, I mean, unless you guys have any other, uh, any I other just questions. wanted to
1: quickly add something from American Gun Chick. She's in here. So, you know, we've been, we've been blessed by the goddess American Gun Chick. So, you know, um, Joe says, as Adam said, these aren't overnight concepts uh, this was a lot to take in for most people tonight. Just new approaches to think about and consider outside of our current broken, dead-end system. You know what? I hundred percent agree with uh, with Raquel.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we well packed, uh, Thank you, Raquel. Yeah, we and, it, and it's it's good to hear that you're here. And and I I know I know Raquel from before she was American Gun Chick, and it's been beautiful to see how her and Joe as a team. Have, have accomplished so much and, and congratulations to both of you for, for getting where you are right now. So, um, man, yeah, this has been, this has been a wild ride. We have really <laughs> covered a lot in, in just yeah. over two hours and I am, I am, I'm so grateful for the opportunity from you guys, but I, I got to say to the audience for anybody who is still watching right now that it's not enough for us to have the technology without conscientious use. So for for the lifestyles of the Locked and Loaded podcast, put your money where your ears are. If you got to the end of this episode, you're definitely someone who values the production that that Hank and, and P are putting together here. And they're not getting corporate sponsorship. And because they're having people like me on, they probably never will. Some and, we've got
1: some we've got like Franklin Armory which is like a pretty you know they're pretty pretty rebellious uh, gun manufacturer out there thankfully right. we got them we got You're them not, so we appreciate that. It's
3: not it's not Proctor and Gamble no, 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 and no, that's not people happening. who are advertising on Fox and MSNBC <laughs> yeah. and CNN. No. Uh, these guys got a hustle. And and they rely on an active and engaged audience and I know this from my own experience I'm getting uh, started again with Adam versus the Man on Monday for people who want to please sign up for my email list at freedomline.com. We're going to be excuse me doing two videos a day, five days a week uh, until we can raise the money through Patreon to to get a regular podcast going. But for now, you're listening to this show. Support this show. Share this podcast, and and support whatever independent media uh, voices that you value. Support Raquel and Joe. Support American Gun Chicks. Support activists. Uh, you know, I want to say put your money where your mouth is, but it's really, you know, like put your money where your eyes and ears are and, and support the people who are bringing you valuable information, whether it's, uh, by sharing their stuff, donating, getting on Patreon, getting the perks with whatever it is that they're doing for fundraising or helping them out. Like Joe, just, you know, helping make this interview happen. I'm so grateful for that. So finally, before I go out and show you this tree, and that'll be the grand finale Uh-oh. one more time. Yes, of course. <laughs> thefreedomline.com. Three words, thefreedomline.com. So now I'm going to unplug yeah. my phone.
1: All right, let's take a
3: look here. We're, we're going to go outside. And I, I, I kind of have to be careful because this this is not just private property, but for, for legal reasons, a private property. And, and I, I can't show you... Uh, or let you guys see everything that, that that's under development or in the works here. Yeah, By the it's way, still daylight
1: the th- out there. <laughs> that's surprising yeah, to me. Because, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that that we're working on on doing with this property uh, is is developing it into uh, a veterans retreat um, and making it a place where where veterans, uh, you know, who are who are looking to get deprogrammed from being killers and, and becoming uh, regular human beings again, processing that trauma and, and get, and breaking free of the military conditioning to have a space here where, where vets can come and, and, and be off grid and, and be in nature and, and really feel safe to do uh, uh, well, let's just say yoga and meditation and, and exercise and eating well and other things related to that that I probably shouldn't mention on the record. So, that being said, one of the my favorite features of this property is these juniper trees, and you can see this one behind me is really, really special. And I don't see I can't make my shot bigger, so I'm like squinting here to look and to see exactly what I'm showing you guys.
1: Okay, so yeah, but it's fallen. I,
3: Actually, let me, let me, let me, I can turn the shot around here. Okay, here we go. So what we had here was, you see, there's the base of the tree with the roots, and you can see it got knocked over, and the rest of the tree is sitting here, and it's actually completely suspended off the ground from when I trimmed the end, and you can see from the tree rings here that that when it was knocked over, it was probably over 100 years old. But if I just zoom out here for a second and back up, you can see why I call this my survivor tree.
0: hmm
3: Actually, yeah. I've got several dozen of them on my property here, and they're quite common in the area. And and and. I, so, I hope so for the folks
1: are, listening on audio, it's it's a fallen tree, but it's still alive.
3: Well more so than that and 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 i I hope you guys appreciate this because i've never done this for any interview before but you made me think about it when uh you said life finds a way and this is this was basically a tree that when it was knocked over was probably 35 40 feet high and it was knocked level but the roots just kept growing into the ground and the branches that were on the top side became the new main trunks of the tree. Mm -hmm. And so when you say life finds a way, not only does it remind me of this, but it reminds me of what I love so much about this place and that you can't have a bad day and come out and look at this tree and not think I'll find a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. I've have never seen that. I don't know if anyone else out there has, but I've definitely uh, never seen it. So I'm gonna thank you for sharing that uh, with us. As we as we before we wrap up here, so we've got a couple of minutes. I want to let Babyface, uh, who's been very patient and hanging out here in the background, do you want to tell the folks how to follow you on social media, Babyface?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir at this point, but baby underscore face P on Instagram or baby face P on YouTube. We got tons of content coming out, lots of videos on gun stuff, uh, two way things. So they'll be coming down the pike pretty soon. So yes. Thanks. Go, a lot. go tune in.
1: Yes, absolutely. Check that out. Make sure you, you check out Adam Kokesh. And uh, Adam, I, I really I want to thank you, man, for, um, you know, for taking the time out of your day to come on here you know, and, uh, hang out with, uh, Patrick and myself and, uh, you know, explain your position, all of that stuff. I really, uh, want to thank oh, you for pleasure. that. You obviously did not have to do it and we appreciate it. Um, I know it's not an easy no. thing to
3: do. <laughs> no, I'm, i running for office. You have to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, yeah. but I, 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 appreciate the opportunity and, and particularly, uh, for, for what you guys represent in the gun community, being able to, to to speak to the gun community with, with you guys at least as, as, as a sort of proxy and address uh, a lot of those issues and 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 I think it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate that and and you've been uh, not just fair uh, as a, a, and 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 insightful as interviewers, but also I think helpful in in creating a unique interview with this that that really. Uh, took us to some some deeper places that that I hope are going to be really good for the audience
1: all right great awesome so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to thank everyone for hanging in there with us I'm going to drop the just everyone stick in right now I'm going to drop the end there we go. There goes the end. Make sure you subscribe, okay, guys? Thumbs up. Ring the bell so you can be notified when we put up the podcast. It's out on audio so you can listen to it um, from your car, when you're working out, whatever you're doing. Uh, thanks so much. We'll be back Monday. I want to thank Adam Kokesh, Babyface P, all of you guys out there. We're out of here. Peace out. We'll see ya. <laughs> Bye.